0: Hello everybody and welcome to the 234th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options, even, you know, (laughs) as relevant today plus some fresh outrages as it was before. We also like fair and free elections. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, and my co-hosts this week are Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and welcoming back our new dad, Travis Allen. Here to help you folks here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hey everybody, super glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to track your specs, chat on an awesome Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast
0: Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Lots of good D&D stuff over there, too, I've been buying lately. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Boy, we need it because we have so many hosts. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: well, it's fun, good to be back. Um, enjoyed my two-month hiatus there. It was a little unexpected. My kid was born a month early, so I just sort of like dropped out. I remember James was like, uh, so is that podcast coming out tonight? You're supposed to edit that. And I'm like, I'm in the hospital. Uh, My wife's dilated. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I'll have to get to it when I get to it. Um, But no, everyone's happy and healthy. And we got a great, mildly fussy child. Um, But eventually I have to return to the real world.
0: So how crazy was that whole scene where you're standing there and a life is being born unto you? I
2: I am uh, fairly... Co- I'm looking forward to this word. Common collected in in many <laughs> intense situations I think and it wasn't really any different there. Like they pull them out and I'm like, "Uh, eh, it's more purple than I expected."
1: And much then, purpler. They, they, they bring, look like smurfs.
2: Yeah, like my dad always said I came out purple and peen and then I see him and I was like, "Damn, he is purple." Uh and then they like, you know, they go and they put him on the scale and they're wiping him off and they're I'm just kind of standing there, my hands in my pockets, like, "Uh, eh, that's a, a kill right?" Uh, I don't know it was it was you know if I, if I say that it was surreal it, it implies that there's some sense of you're standing there in the moment and almost disbelief it was more just almost mundane I guess it felt like but maybe just because we had spent so long kind of getting ready for it and also it was like 3 30 in the morning and I was exhausted
0: it's also a lot easier for us because it doesn't come out of our body yes yeah. preach there's
2: that there's that it was fine I took it. sorry go ahead Cliff
1: I took a great picture of my second kid like 10 seconds after the C-section was done. And uh, I do show it in my uh, classes because it looks like something, you know, ripped out of an alien movie because it's covered in the wax and it's purple looking. It just looks angry. Mm-hmm. And then I tell him it's my kid and all of a sudden, oh, it's the cutest baby you ever saw. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was,
1: I was struck in the moment by
2: how traumatic Being born must be like you i'm like boy you're a baby and in this nice warm cocoon you get fed all this food through a tube you don't have to do anything you just hang out and then suddenly you're like ripped out into the open air this is is all new the sounds the lights like they're slapping you on the mom's stomach and they're cutting things off and i'm like man this is uh then they're stabbing (laughs) you with all the shots like this is wild but 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 here we are
0: we're we're, we're glad we're we're glad to have you back. Glad to hear that the little one is safe and sound at home, and uh, looking forward to uh, having all our kids play some magic games down the road when we're all
2: old and yeah, gray. No kidding. Now already gray. Everyone <laughs> everyone should know here that I have both. I rolling. have spent two weeks pretty much disconnected. I've kept an eye on Twitter for sure, but like I haven't been keeping two on track. So if you were expecting me to come back with a bang and be like, "Man, he is on top of it." Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to give me a little this bit.
1: This of... is my nap time, Travis. What are you doing yeah, you're to me? Yeah, you to
2: give me some time to ease uh, in here a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Do you have questions? Like, what do you want to know? Uh, well, I know we're on a bit of a clock tonight, so we can kind of keep moving. But in the next week or two, I might double back to discuss some topics, for both for myself and for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so
0: we we do have a guest coming in in segment four tonight. We are are going to be joined uh, by the lovely and talented Ellie of the Veil, uh, Twitch streamer sponsored by Cardsphere, ex pro trader. Uh, she's going to be coming in to talk about some of the more problematic elements of MTG finance, and specifically ones that might be might pertain to us and or. Uh, MTG Price, Pro Trader, etc., and try to, you know, get some stuff on record from another perspective um, that might be useful for us and our listeners to consider. So we'll be getting to that in a little bit. Um, Travis, are you up to speed on the big reveal last weekend about Commander Collection Green? Uh,
2: I saw, I did check Mythic Spoiler to see all the new cards, so I saw what's in Commander Collection Green, yes.
0: Sure, so we did get the reveal that this, uh, this set, which I guess is kind of the spiritual inheritor or spiritual descendant uh, to the FTV series this is you know they had FTVs they never really kind of hit the sweet spot with them people weren't happy with the foiling shops tended to that is such a mild understatement unhappy with the foiling places tended to if they were you know the occasional one that was pretty hot uh, store WPN stores were motivated to price them pretty high uh, then they moved on to the, command- the spell books that were based on the Planeswalkers. And I think we got, what, one for Jace, one for Gideon, and then Chandra this year, right. if I'm not mistaken. And now they're kind of adding a whole new uh, ancillary line. So this is Commander Collection green. Probably pretty safe to assume we're going to get one for each color over the next uh, four more years. And maybe a colorless one along the way. Uh, assuming that they sell well. And I suspect they will, because they don't have a, a declared... MSRP, of course, anymore, but the value is undeniable in this thing. We have Bane of Progress, Command Tower, not exactly a green card, but okay. Frey'lees Land of Wars Fury, Omnath Locus of Mana. That's a pretty uh, relevant one heading into Zendikar uh, Rising. Seedborn Muse was the funky-looking flower creature that, uh, whose art was revealed last winter. A copy of Soul Ring with new art, also kind of odd. Um, to be in this product in particular, and then mostly blowing people's minds. I think they're including Sylvan Library and Worldly Tutor in here, and the Worldly Tutor is especially odd because they showed us the art of Yisun the Wanderer Bard playing a harp and summoning animals last winter, and most people guessed that that was either Collected Company or Court of Calling, but apparently it's Worldly, worldly Tutor, despite the uh flavor text being a single chord brings them to heal a whole song and they dance worldly tutors doesn't really have anything to do with singing but okay
1: Are being so nitpicky on this
0: just, just so, odd. It sounds like there was a I,
1: switch up at some point in there
0: yeah that, that I, it feels like it was chord of calling at some point it just fits too well um now the big news here is of course that sylvan library really provides a strong anchor for the set in terms of the expected EV. Um, definitely I think you want to be out of your modern versions of the card uh, because it, this set is being released in both foil and non-foil. And the, in the WPN network, the Wizards Play network, most stores are getting the non-foil version to sell and only the premium level stores, and in some states there might only be one and it could be a significant drive from you, uh, will be getting the foil sets. I would imagine those foil sets are going to be pretty pricey.
1: Especially because there are two first-time foils in here, in Worldly Tutor and Bane of Progress. This Bane of Progress art is hot. It's like some kind of mecha soldier being eaten alive by a plant creature. I dig it a lot. So uh, yeah, I'm really hoping to get my hands on uh, foil copies of these.
2: My impression was that for all of the time we spent talking about green cards that could end up in commander, this commander set over the past, whatever, nine months, uh, how many of them are relevant? Three? Maybe. Yeah. And it, so, like, mm-hmm. how many times did we look at a green pick and we're like, "Well, but commander, blah blah blah." And it's like, "Damn, they're like," and especially when you toss in the command tower and soul ring, you know, taking away two
1: yeah. slots. That does S- that seedborn feels muse.
0: Iffy. Odd. I mean, seedborn muse and worldly tutor were definitely on the potentials. Uh, Sylvan library did not see that coming. I thought they were going to target this as like a forty to sixty dollar MSRP product. The foil version of this is going to be well over a hundred. And uh, even the non-foil is probably going to do pretty well. Um, I don't see these being discounted anywhere. If we get a shot at a group buy
2: on these from Europe, it's going to be pretty nice. Yeah, it's uh, those opportunities are bound, and I guess it resets my expectations a little bit for what may be in the future. Um, I want to take a moment just to hit on a point here. I went through Wizards' Twitter feed today, and... Just found everything that has occurred in the time that I've been gone. (laughs) And I can't guarantee you this is an exhaustive list, but this is what I found. Uh, I'm working. (laughs) Since
1: you've been gone? Yeah, I'm working
2: in reverse order here, but I got um, Commander Legends spoiler started. Commander Collection Green was fully revealed. Uh, Secret Layer Dogs was revealed. Slime Secret Layer was revealed. Double Masters was released, and all of the content regarding Double Masters. Uh, they kicked somebody out of content creator program because she also had an OnlyFans. They announced set boosters in Zendikar Rising, and two Bandless updates occurred. Uh, I think that's all the items. Plus, everyone argued about the reserve list again, which apparently is like uh, coronavirus. coronavirus uh, you, once you catch it, it's only you're only immune for three months, and then we do it again. Um, so, it seems like a fair bit of content out there in the last two
1: months. I gotta tell you, muting the words reserved and list in my Twitter feed is heavenly. Mm.
2: It's
1: heavenly. There's no... There's nothing that's going to happen with it. All it's going to do is make me angry all over again. And if I can just avoid all that, I will. There seems to be uh, an increasingly
0: increasing number of vocal voices from the vendor community that are pushing for the reserve list to be uh, abolished. And if people are scratching their head over that, like, hey, wait, don't they have inventory that would go down? The reason that they're pushing for it is they're not actually scared that most of that inventory is going to lose value. And as the inventory gets more and more pricey, they actually have harder and harder time moving it versus their desired hold times. So first of all, they're not really worried about the power nine. I think consensus is that at least some of the reserve list would be, even if they started to break it, they would do it maybe in stages to feel it out. And it's very unlikely they would lead with Black Lotus, et cetera. So it's more about, and and there's also, Cliff and I talked about this a few weeks ago, about how there's a shadow ban over top of the reserve list, where there's a bunch of just terrible cards that they have no reason to reprint and and will never go back to, aside um, from power list, and
1: duels, like what are people worried about on the reserve list? Yeah, it's like cradle. Well, I mean, and, I think like, that, th- very small handful of other stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that is mid tier and rising. So you've got Gaia's Cradle pushing up into the high hundreds, as Travis predicted a while back. Um, you've got Talarian Academy pushing. You have Amaya Hollow pushing. Uh, Yogmoth's will, survival of the fittest, treachery, gilded drake. I sold over 120 this week. Um, you know, there's a lot of this, these commander relevant cards that whose destiny would probably be impacted if a reprint was announced tomorrow, because they would end up being kind of grim tutor, imperial recruitery with some kind of filter over top of that based on their power level and playability. Because, you know, Grim Tutor and Imperial Recruiter are were originally expensive because of rarity, not because of power level um, or extreme playability, where something like Yog Will, and uh, Survival of the Fittest are <laughs> extremely good cards that will still be expensive even if they're reprinted. All right, fair enough. After, after diving, of course, like on the reprint. Um, I don't know if you caught this, Travis, but Wizards ended up having to apologize for slightly misleading marketing <laughs> uh, preamble
2: and packaging for Double Masters. Yes, when people found out they had commons and uncommons right in that one slot.
1: No, it well, was the, on the Double back, Mythic. On the,
2: well, yeah, on the
0: back of the booster, it's if, depending on how you read it, it sort of suggests you could get two Mythic box stoppers in the pack when, in fact, the first slot of the box top foil box toppers is always a rare, and the second is a mythic two-thirds of the time. So they, there was enough sound and fury on social that they decided to give away Double Master's regular packs for each VIP booster UPC code that you send in, uh, which encouraged quite a few pro traders to just go ahead and crack those suckers. Yeah. Since they're, you're now underwriting them by an extra 5 or $10 per, and quite a few of our people were in early on them, below $380 uh, per subcase, which is like 90 bucks a box. Um, the Japanese foil force-a-will got up to three dollars to $3,500 out the gates. Uh, last... Last week or the week before, and buy list was up to eighteen hundred. Oh, uh, uh, so like one hundred eighty thousand yen cool. or whatever. Um, and then I managed to trade some Ultimate Secret Layer fetch lands to face to face games last week, and then promptly cracked those five Japanese VIP packs and cracked one of the aforementioned Japanese foil force wheels on Twitch stream
2: so that, that was must nice. have been quite exciting i who the hell is <laughs> buying that card for three thousand dollars ah and uh, that's and a and question
1: we've been ch- asking a lot during the pandemic like who is buying uh, apparently these the, ch- for the chinese the
2: chinese vert
0: well i mean whales is is the answer there's plenty of whales they clearly yeah. Apparently, the Chinese version is 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 obviously it is not so obviously a big deal as well because the flavor text was translated roughly to "noob." Hmm. Um. So apparently, it's the greatest <laughs> magic card ever in China.
2: <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. So
0: so that's a thing. Um, let's see what else. Uh, set boosters were announced. I don't know if you yep, caught that. I'd say that. This, yeah. is, this is that's the new in between product. Uh, That looks like it's going to price somewhere between 120 and 140 a box, uh, and and may push down below 100 at the best possible price. Uh, You only get 30 boosters, but they include um, extra shots at some sexiness. And there's a new thing called the list, which is just Wizards rolling forward this program of like constant and much heightened reprints. So there's 300 cards that are going to be available in the Zendikar Rising set boosters.
1: You have a 1 in 4 wait. chance of hitting one of those 300 cards.
2: Okay, wait, hold on. There's the Zendikar set boosters, which include yep. all the cards from Zendikar with a higher concentration of good cards in that set. But then there yes. are 300 additional possible cards from a list of reprints? That is correct. Yeah, sim- sim- Similar to uh, Time Spiral. Okay, and does every pack guarantee is every pack guaranteed one?
1: No, so you just might get some. Yeah, I be- one in four. You said Cliff? I'm pretty sure it's one in four. Hang on, let me look. How that good up. is that list? Don't know yet. We
0: we don't uh, know yet. The um, speaking of Time Spiral, it is rumored that they are going to reprint that set as a Time Spiral remastered that will come out on both arena and in paper. And that I would, and then we don't, that's really the only, uh, you know, the juiciest bit of the rumor. I would, thinking beyond that, I would assume that that means there's going to be another The List that will be similar to the original Time Spiral's uh, uh, bonus reprint list. So... The, the thinking is that the Times Power Remastered will take cards from the entire block and mix it into one set, and then there'll be this ancillary slot as well. Do, are the cards on
1: the list legal and standard? No. No. Uh, it's officially 25% of the time, instead of an ad or token card, you'll get a card from the list. Uh, being on the list does not make them standard legal. They are legal in whatever formats they're already legal in, could be pulled from anywhere in Magic's 27-year history. Uh, the list is not a part of Arena. Um, it would add these hard cards to Historic, but they're going to be a little more uh, circumspect about that. And we know uh, three of the cards from the list are Muscle Sliver, Cloud Goat Ranger, and Pact of Negation.
2: All right, so it's literally just time-shifted cards except
1: a quarter of as often. Yes. Okay. Instead of, of like, one sheet of time-shifted cards, it's uh, 300. Yeah. And did they denote there whether they can be
2: foil? I don't remember seeing
0: that They did
1: not say in here if it would be foil or not foil. Uh, My prediction is
2: they will be available in non-foil, foil, foil, extended art, extended art foil. Uh, (laughs) Ten of them will be available in some sort of premium special border. Also, some of them will come double-faced with a different... Card from the list on the back side of the card, and that <laughs> be will have hot. various treatments, and you can actually play. You know what? That's that's
0: that's possibly the most brilliant thing any of us will say tonight. Putting two cards on a card.
2: Mm. I mean, they, they blew the. D- <laughs> that's a way. That's a way to. Ta- that's a way to tackle. If rebirth. anything, it is shocking how infrequently they have used the back side of the card once they. Uh, opened that Pandora's box, like once they showed flip cards, and then they, but basically haven't gone back to the well on that. Shocking, shocking the amount of restraint they've showed on that front.
1: Yeah, they just well, apparently did the Zendikar- flip cards, and then uh, the one Nickel Bolus, and then the Rivals of Ixalan flip cards. Well, the excellent block flip cards. Yeah. We, the rumor
0: is, though, we're getting flip duels for Pioneer in Zendikar.
2: Rising. I did catch that. Uh, I, I poked my head into the very infrequently visited Magic subreddit just to see what the current scuttlebutt was. And I mm, caught those. Yeah. Cesspool. All
1: right, so let's move right along here. We've got uh, four segments, I'm guessing, Cliff? Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about the Magic Online Weekend Review. we got a Pioneer and Modern Preliminary Events to talk about. We've got segment two, our top paper movers, uh, then we'll uh, subtopic of top Magic Online movers, and then uh, all three of us have some picks, including a very spicy uh, reader pick in segment three, our cards to watch.
0: All right, so we'll uh, dive on in here with the Magic Online metagame week can review. There, the biggest tournaments in the last week are preliminaries, so fairly small tournaments. There's there's There were some bigger standard tournaments this week, but... I consider that format pretty lame duck from the perspective of paper, since very unlikely to be played anywhere uh, in North America anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, you got balls if you're playing so, in
1: paper right now.
0: Now, there, there may come a time a few months out where if enough uh, countries in Europe and or Japan settle their situation and people can go back to the stores, things could get real interesting, as we talked about uh, last week or the week before. But we'll dive in here and see what's going on with Pioneer uh, post all the combo bands. Uh, Last week we saw a pretty stable format. This week looks much the same. First place we have Blue-White Spirits. No big surprises in there. Um, We've got Blue-White Control in second place. Uh, I guess in Blue-White Spirits, the biggest surprise is actually Watcher of the Spheres, the uncommon from M21. Uh, creature spells with flying you cast cost one less to cast. It's a 2-2 flyer for one and a, for a white and a blue. Whenever another creature with flying enters the battlefield under your control, Watcher of the Spheres gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So it doesn't get any spirit bonuses, but it does, it does provide a bunch of bonuses to all your flying creatures, which is basically everything else.
1: Yeah, making your spell queller cheaper uh, probably feels pretty good.
2: i browsed the entire pioneer preliminary here um pretty deep before we started and uh you know it's very much uh the, the more things change the more things stay the same i i didn't really find much of anything here to be too shocking in this entire top eight um aside from maybe the frequency with which i was seeing uh wolf willow haven but i think that was going on before back in june anyways
0: Since you last were around, I guess Shark Typhoon has posted up as a constant control card in multiple formats, uh, even more so than it was uh, when you were headed out the door. Um, There's that day's undoing in the uh, Esper control list that's pretty cute. Uh, Running Kalidus and Thing in the Ice in the same deck is certainly relatively fresh. Then you've got those mono green Planeswalker builds that are just consistently top eight in Pioneer now. The mono red deck that's been around the whole time. Wilderness Reclamation putting up results in both formats. There's a Teamer Wilderness Reclamation build in the top eight of both the Pioneer and the Modern Preliminary, and we've seen that uh, a few times lately. And then a Mono Red deck to finish things off in Pioneer. The Teamer Rec deck was first in the Modern Prelim, and then we had Grixis Shadow, Black Red Goblins, Bant Control, Blue White Control, all built around Planeswalkers, including Teferis and, and Earls and so forth. Prowess Red uh, seems to be the dominant aggro deck in Modern at the moment, Ad nauseum, and then the green-red mid-range Clothis uh, Moon deck that's been around for months.
1: I really like these uh, control decks that are running uh, one or two of on the Field of the Dead. That just seems uh, super mega fun, and I would like to do a lot of that myself. Just play your land, get the free creature, and hold up your choice of Cryptic Command, Force of Negation, or um, Archmage's Charm. Sure.
0: All right, so we'll move on over to the top paper movers of the week, uh, kicking off with uh, another week of reserveless movement for the most part. Plenty of that going on on an ongoing basis. Pressure still building uh, in the current circumstances with uh, reserveless cards obviously n- not on the horizon for a reprint now, if ever. And this zero buy list in person uh, scenario in North America just driving anything that was already in scarce supply or had any degree of scarcity to the moon. Kicking off with Yavamaya Hollow at versus Destiny fifty-five to eighty. Boy, I have plenty of those sitting around. Love to see that
2: card pushing hundred. I would also be very happy if I had a stack of Yavimaya Hollows. <laughs> Preach. When did you when did you pick all those up? I've been picking them up here
0: and there over the last maybe one to three years, including a bunch in Japan, Japanese copies and English around 20 bucks. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, kind of just the old adage, I guess, is there's never a bad time to buy, you know, casual reserve list cards. There's just better times than others.
0: This next one looks like a card we should be thinking about selling. Rings of Bright Hearth at a when original printing, going from fifty to seventy-five. This is the non-foil version. This thing's gonna get a reprint, and the only argument I can see for people trying to push this up right now is that they people have already seen the list for Commander Legends and feel confident that it doesn't include rings. But there's still the list to worry about. So between all of the reprint slots, anything like this that's pumping hard and in short supply, I'm a seller.
1: I mean, they've they've known what's in Commander Legends for a couple of months at this point. The set's probably been finalized as it gets ready to be printed, right? So that months ago, yeah. So it's it's known to a certain group of people whether it's in there or not. I I can't imagine like they planned on putting too many forty dollars cards in Commander Legends, but we'll have to see.
0: Well, the thing is that about Commander Legends leaks is that people were... Tar- we, we clocked people targeting the partners towards, like... I want to say it was either late May or early June. So leads me to believe that folks had a six-month head start on at least the themes of Commander Legends. Because we got the big reveal this weekend about there being tons of partners uh, in Commander Legends. And so could easily be true that they know other things about what's on or not on the list. And I want to be thinking around that corner, not ignoring it.
2: Rings of Brighthearth is one of those cards that reminds me of, um, you know, the same set, actually, Oracle. Well, no, not the same set. Sorry. Oracle Maldaya which just seemed like it was due for a reprint a year after its initial printing. And it just never came and never came and never came. And then of course we just got, we just got Oracle in in jumpstart, but it was the first time in since Zendikar. Um, And even then you could make the point that it wasn't even a full widespread reprint rings of bright earth is a little different. I think it's a little less of a chase staple than Oracle Maldaya would be. Um, But definitely that type of card where you go, okay, this is ready for a reprint. And then it just doesn't come. But at the same time, um, could, like you said, easily end up on the list? I don't know. Cards like this make me uneasy. It seems like there's possibility to get paid super hard if you're willing to play a chicken. But I generally don't like to stand in front of the train that long.
0: And people were probably in down under 20 if they've been holding for a while. So I remember when this no, card was no need to pass up
1: quarters was it? Yeah, it was a dud. It was awful. <laughs> yeah.
0: No need to be... getting so greedy that 50 or 60 or 70 isn't enough true um speaking of jumpstart allosaurus shepherd out of jumpstart is the dominant mythic out of that set going here from in theory from 75 to 120 kind of funny because it's mostly a big deal in legacy on magic online right now and that doesn't really translate to paper but apparently uh the Japanese, including Haruya, leading the charges for per usual, have this real high on their buy list. I'll have to look it up, but I want to say that it was like 8,000 80, 8, yen on their buy list, which translates to about 75 bucks, something like that. And I could easily see that uh, motivating vendors that have good connections in Japan to hollow things out in North America and move them on over.
2: I did catch this. This is a very competitive-oriented card. I think um, and certainly serves the desire to not have your stuff countered, which is very popular among the casual crowd as well. Uh, there's that um, there's, I remember that Savage summoning was that card that was always way more valuable than I ever felt like it
1: should be. I remember. Well, it's gotta, so it's to- gotta to do more. I mean, cause guy is Harold is two mana and it has no price. So, like, you got to have extra bonus stuff going on or have it be even cheaper, which is what Alice Ho- or Shepard has both of those things going on. Right.
0: Right. So, so get this. The buy list in Japan <laughs> explains everything. It's up to 100- 14,000 yen, which is basically $134 or something. Cash? Buy list. Buy list, yes.
1: Wow. Man, what could it have been if Jumpstart had been, if we'd been able to play with Jumpstart?
0: Way, way lower. So I mean'm I'm, I'm a massive I'm a huge seller here. If you have any reason to be shipping stuff to Japan already, this is you want to throw this into that order because you, this is just obscene for a mythic that's less than three months old.
1: Yeah, uh, you got to open the special pack and then be willing to do all that.
0: All right, so moving right along with some more reserve list stuff that's been targeted. Altar of bone, uh, great example of a card with basically no play pattern that it happens to be on the reserve list. So, of course, it went from 9 to 18. I feel like we've seen this before. A lot of these cards that are at the lower end of the reserve list spectrum uh, tend to pop up every few years as folks, for the first time, sometimes, other times, repetitive behavior, <laughs> <laughs> go back to the reserve list, scroll through it, and just look for things that they could buy. And Process is unending.
2: Altar of Bone is actually
1: the handle for my locked Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure you were gonna say uh porn tape, Travis. I I, I felt that joke coming, but what I guess year
2: not. is it, Clifford? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, nobody calls me that except my mom when she's pissed. Let's back <laughs> off a little bit here, buddy.
0: <laughs> Alright, so Altar of Bone is in less than a thousand decks on EDH rec, not something I want to be chasing. Buy they are not going to cooperate anytime soon. Mana Vault foils out of UMA, jumping from 150 to 350. This is another card that signals to me potential advance intel about Commander Legends. Because if people feel like Mana Vault is not catching a reprint there and that it's not in the list, you can see how they might think they have six months to drive the price up on this card and capitalize. Mana Vault foils are for sure coming. The question is when. Is it in 6 months, 3 months, 12 months, 18? Who knows. But they're not going to leave these mega mana rocks for EDH alone very long. Um, they've demonstrated time and again that they're going to go back to the Well on Soul Ring and Mana Crypt and there's no reason for them to leave Mana Vault alone. Yeah,
2: these are the definition of playing chicken because you know they're getting reprinted. But at the same time, they do very well in between all of them. Um, and you just have to figure out which set in any given year they're going to show up in. So I, I would agree that I would
1: be outing the Mana if I had them. Yeah, I mean, you've got your Ultimate Masters, then your Ultimate Masters Box Topper, and then you've got the Masterpiece as well. So, like, there's, there's a lot to choose from here. And I, I, I swear, oh. every time I see Mana Vault, I think it's Mana Crypt. I'm like, oh yeah, people want the, the free mana, but no, it's this Mana Rock. Oh, this thing. Yeah. So the thing
0: here is that if you knew that this was on the list, but the list wasn't foils, then that could also be an excuse for pushing this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how the rest of this fall plays out, but I'm, I'm a seller anywhere like in between the starting and, and potential finishing price, like 150 to 350. I don't care what the number is in between there. I'd be a seller because <laughs> you were probably in on it between 80 and a hundred. And if you can get in out, out north of 160 170 you're doing
2: just yeah, fine. any major price spike on a, uh... A rock like this is is absolutely a time to get out.
0: Sundering Titan, Masterpiece Series, invention edition foils going from thirty eight to eighty five in theory. This is just people mopping up other premium stuff that sees play, even when the play pattern's not particularly exciting.
1: Isn't this abandoned commander though?
0: Is it really? That seems unlikely. Was it? I could see it. So I think it was banned. At Sundering Titan
1: used to be banned. Oh my bad. Yeah, they
0: unbanned it. The I think because the power level of the people are evil. That's why
1: because blowing up land yeah. super fun. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's showing banned on EDH Rec. Is it still banned? But, it, but it's in double masters. That's weird. I have to double check our facts there. This, it seems like a very odd. Yes. Yeah, abandoned
1: commander huh yeah
0: yeah so th- with it being abandoned commander you can only really make the collector argument for the inventions so
1: oh you're trying real hard in your cube decks but yeah the yeah, their inventions man their inventions are from are the promo from five years ago they're sweet mm-hmm. and will, this was a a sweet one from that wasn't played much though
2: i will tell you if you were the gambling type these inventions at Twenty three dollars or thirty bucks are a little tempting. (laughs) Just like, come
1: on, unban like thirty bucks to one hundred and fifty overnight. Oh man, that is that is a gamble. I thought you were just like gamble on inventions, but you're gambling on unbanning. Yeah. Ooh, I like the way you talk. They they don't. That committee does not really
0: seem to be into the unbannings for this format because they they like to ask the question, "What does this help?" Uh, it's not really they're not really coming at it from the competitive aspect of like how can we like t- get this card out of prison. They're much more about the unless this adds some new form of joy, we'll just leave well enough. Alone. Yeah,
2: I would have to double back and read from people who are really connected to EDH right now and see if this is a why haven't they taken this off the ban list yet situation or a anyone who thinks they should take this off the ban list doesn't remember what it's like to play with it situation.
0: I mean I can understand how in most of the artifact decks that re- dump stuff to the graveyard and recycle it back into play using Emery and welder and whatever this can be pretty nasty um so I can I can picture the scenario where this does makes a like unfriends most of the people at the table yeah
1: especially because it picks on like your basics and it leaves behind the non basics
2: yeah it's weird but at the same time like what you know eight mana seven mana creature that you're recurring eight mana creature that you're recurring multiple times. Isn't going to make life miserable for the other players at your table.
1: Yeah, so. but land denial is just like the worst because all you're doing is now it's going to take you at a, a seven power. I, it's going to take you how many turns to kill everybody? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that, but Armageddon's still legal. So, <laughs> okay, true. All right,
0: moving along with some of the other reserve list cards targeted are Givian Archaeologist out of Antiquity, sixty-five to over one hundred and fifty in theory. Hundred and forty percent plus gains if you can find a buyer. Singing tree out of Arabian Nights, one hundred and thirty to three hundred plus. Ditto. Oh, this is the wrong one.
2: I don't want. I need. Uh... Yeah, Willow Sater needs to get there. Let's get that bad boy up. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll get hit shortly. <laughs> don't worry.
0: Guilt leaf arch druid from Morning Tide, six to eighteen. Has this card had a reprint since Morning Tide?
2: Nope. Not unless it was in some weird product i don't believe so some weird product
0: for weirdos (laughs) let's see was it in like a commander anthology or something nope just single printing ever so yeah that's the non-foil uh if you're playing druid decks that's where you this card comes in handy uh bolus's citadel foils from war i think it's one of our picks from early on i don't think it was mine um feels maybe was that a cliff pick
1: uh no it's uh, it showed up in uh in our top lists uh, a couple weeks in a row actually we men, talked yeah we talked about how you should add n- on bl- 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 little citadel to the thing sure but i'm pretty sure that this has been
0: this was a pick real early on like within the first two months of its printing um anyway we'll go back and check that five dollars to sixteen it's a strong edh card and showing up in some constructed builds and it's from the period uh before the foil drop rate got boosted by 50 percent uh it does have a promo that we all thought it was going to hold it back but uh we'll talk more about that in the next segment um basandra battle Seraph out of uh conspiracy was also also showed up in commander and commander anthology i believe um, but it's only got a single foil printing, which has, in theory, gone from twenty to I don't know, somewhere between sixty and eighty dollars, probably because Kalia just got reprinted, and this is an auto include in that deck. But it stops people from casting spells during your attack phase, which is when Kalia's trigger goes off.
2: This was always considerably less popular than Kalia was. Uh, not quite as splashy, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, but you play it in your Calia build, and everybody just got their f- sweet new art foil box topper Calia. Yeah, build.
2: yeah. I suppose so. I mean, I could see that being the the push here. But all but so ultimately, sh- it's been around for a while, and I don't think it's a particularly. It hasn't been an exciting card in all of the years it's been available, so I would be a hard sell because I don't think it's going to be more popular other than this maybe brief window
0: that part i fully agree with and i wouldn't be trying to get 80 out of it either i'd be trying to get 30 to 40 and be totally satisfied with that this is not the kind of card you want to buy up the ramp at 45 and then post your your post on ebay at 80 and then watch people undercut you for three months before you notice that you've been left adrift yeah yeah all right so second last on the list we got shadowborn apostles out of m14 foils uh in theory going from five bucks to 20 bucks there's basically two copies left on tcg player and foil uh both at twenty dollars whether anybody will pay you for foils at twenty dollars is anyone's guess but this is the kind of card where until they reprint it again there's like zero downward pressure because this is one of the cards that says a deck can have any number of which is a surefire
2: way to eventually sell out the foils. Man, somebody somewhere has a 45-card foil Shadowborn Apostle EDH deck, and they're pretty excited about it. Yeah, they, if they bought
0: in early, and they've been fooling around with it every once in a while, and they just realize their deck is in theory worth three or $4,000 off the Apostle's loan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, they can, if they can find a buy list to cooperate. Yeah,
2: I mean, the benefit of this card is that if you can sell... This is one of those weird cards where if you can sell them as a group, you actually get to charge more because it's, it's sure. much easier than having to buy them individually. But Pot- potentially lower shipping charges for the person buying that too. Yeah. So uh,
0: not bad underpinning on bu- uh, card kingdom buy list. Actually, they- they're paying a four cash five twenty seven credit at present. Uh, so do you- if you how much early enough, that's not bad at all. Like four fifty no. or something. Wait,
2: four fifty cash for? I mean, I mean, this is a common, right? So when this, you've got this for m- Shadowborn Apostle. You've foil. got this marked as a foils, and you said Card Kingdom is paying five yeah. bucks on the foils. Yeah, that's terrible compared to the, what we're seeing on the spreadsheet here.
0: No, it's it's terrible compared to the last two prices listed on TCG Player. Yeah. But this is a common. Foil, foil commons from this set were like less than a dollar when it first came out. Well,
2: sh- sure. I don't disagree. Yeah. That was but, seven and, and who, years and, ago. And whoever
0: though. built that... Sure. But whoever built... I mean, the, we're talking about people that have a hundred of these. That's when they bought them. <laughs> no, Nobody bought a hundred of them at five bucks.
2: No, no, no. I, I'm imagining some guy built a foil EDH deck of these shortly after it came out and... Maybe he forgot about it and now, you know, at five bucks, it wasn't worth digging him out because he was paying two and three, four bucks a piece. But at 20, it sure as hell might be.
0: This is also the kind of stuff that the bulk pickers like DJ are thrilled about because here and there they're just picking, you know, onesie, twosie out of the out of collections and he might have 30 or 40 of these sitting around that he got for free. Didn't
2: they just print some card again that's uh, unlimited? Unlimited Rat copies. Colony,
1: I think, uh, from the Secret Lair. The Rat.
2: Yeah. Well, that's. Sure. But that's a reprint. It? Didn't they print a new, new art. card? Oh, Persistent Partitioners. The yeah. The Ravnica Allegiance one. I wonder if it's mm-hmm. worth uh, getting a little splashy over there, because these always seem to do well. Uh, I mean, people have already had that thought. It's been called out.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that one is also yeah, already... Yeah, yeah, plus the yeah, uh, Mill Commander.
1: The Mill Commander has probably helped that bump a bit, too.
0: However, you're dead right, because look at the ramp on TCG on the Persistent partitioners. You can get them for five, then seven, then nine, then ten. I mean, it's headed in the same direction. This is all going to happen. Is too. that yeah. for
1: foil or non-foil?
2: Foil. Okay. Really, I think the next time one of these cards gets printed... You... We're just all going to buy them all? Yeah, it literally, it literally does not matter what it says on the card. Just buy them. Buy as many foils as you can get under $5. Well,
0: they got tricky in Eldraine with that dwarf, because you can only put seven of them in, because <laughs> the white and the seven dwarves... And then you're like, mmm, seven's not the same as unlimited. Right. I
2: can't build an EDH check out of seven of these. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, dwarfs really needed the help as a tribe, so you can see where they were going with that, but all right, so wrapping up things in the top paper movers, we got Lotus Cobra original foils from Zendikar in theory going from twenty to over a hundred dollars. I don't know what you want to call that, 100, $120, hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty. Again, this is the kind of situation I'd be looking to get fifty or sixty out of that and roll the funky thing there is the best version of this card not even close in terms of art is the Therese Nielsen art which is boo because i had tons of these and now every time i sell one i'm donating to charity which is yay for the charity but it'd be really great if that card was <laughs> was not charity bait right oh, now i
2: was thinking it was chippy but it's not rip
0: no well i mean the original lotus cobra is safe the promo is not and it's a real shame because the art's cool yeah i
2: thought the Promo was chippy, but it's not. Mm-hmm.
0: No. All right. So moving on to the top Magic Online movers. Cliff, you want to throw us through that?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, the there were three that gained uh, huge dollar amounts. Uh, Field of the Dead jumped two and a half dollars. That's twenty-five percent gain. Uh, Shark Typhoon has gone up by almost five bucks from sixteen to twenty-one. Elder Gargaroth. If you happen to have any at the beginning of the week, there were thirty. Now they are forty. So if you want to move on the dollar amounts, you can do that. Um, then uh, percentage-wise, you had some going from small amounts to not very big amounts, but you're you know you'll gain your percentages on Magic Online pretty easily. Mace of the Valiant out of uh, Throne of Eldraine gone from a quarter to thirty-seven cents for forty-eight percent gain. Then you're looking at Azusa going from uh, a quarter to fifty cents worth. That's more than a hundred percent. Uh, Radha, the Heart of Keld, uh, has gone up from about 7 to uh, 0.19 tickets. That's almost 200%. And Expansion Explosion is our big winner this week uh, on the near triple up, going from 11 cents to 32 cents.
0: That's got to be getting driven by Domination from Team Erectex. That
1: seems likely, yes. You know, if it's good in Modern and it's good in Pioneer, then Magic Online's prices will catch that.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if expansion explosion is being played in the uh,
1: modern versions, but what else are um, you gonna do with all your mana?
0: But I got I mean we looked we looked at a list uh, at the top of that modern prelim, right? And their top end was So they were running Renin Six, Snapcaster Mage, Four Uro, 24 instance, including a Nexus of Fate. So that's what they're doing oh, at okay. the top end of the mana. That makes sense too. They've also and then they've also got a shark typhoon.
1: Yeah, shark typhoon. So, yeah,
0: busy times on Magic Online. I think a couple of the ones I would flag there is Elder Gargaroth pushing hard up to 40. That's that, like, best mythic in a in a under-opened set, under-drafted set. Uh, Shark Typhoon as a rare pushing to 20 is incredible. That's the multi-format staple status. And then Azusa going from 25 to 56. That might not be done. Uh, Azusa is legal and standard right now. That could easily end up being a dollar two dollars three dollars or something if a if she features in a lands matters deck uh, come the releases into car rising
2: I did catch I mean this isn't Moto but I did catch when I was browsing the Pioneer list that shark typhoon had a little more play than I remember it um, it doesn't look those prices already look pretty scary though uh, so I don't I don't know what the angle is there but it, I, I did see that it struck out to me. When I, was looking mm,
0: I called uh, Extended Art Foil Shark Typhoons towards the start of the summer and made people a bunch of money. Because okay. mm, they, they drained out pretty yeah, fast. Yeah, they're like
2: 45 or 50 bucks now, it looked like.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, so let's move on to our paper cards to watch. We got picks from all three of us, plus a user pick. Um, I'll kick things off with a little bit of a curveball. How about Mirror Made Extended Art Foils out of the Collector Boosters from Throne of Eldraine. There's a couple things about the uh, Throne of Eldraine Collector Boosters. A, they were not at a super high print run. So there was a lot fewer of them around than there will be things out of Theros or Core 21, for instance. Uh, Core 21, of course, has an elevated number of extended arts per pack uh, and per box versus Throne, uh, which was a lot calmer. Basically one extended art per pack and then you got three to four foils um mirmaid is also the poster child for open-ended synergy in edh it basically just copies creatures or artifacts there are (laughs) infinite creatures infinite artifacts in the format you don't have to be playing a specific deck you just need to be interested in fooling around with copying the best thing on the board and you can get use out of this thing there's tons of clones, so there it is like a replaceable good in that sense, but there's a pretty good ramp forming on these, and they're already reported in 7,000 EDH rec decks in the first year, which is a very respectable number. So I'm calling these to go 18 to 30 plus. Let's call it 18 to 32 inside a year as they drain out the ramp climbs.
1: I mean, this is a good argument for um, the fact that you do get to copy the two things, you can an artifact or an enchantment. And that that is is in its favor. I didn't know this was already 18 in uh, extended art foil. So, I mean, I imagine almost all of them will have some kind of upward pressure over time. I, we've gotten one reprint of extended arts uh, so far, but that was in the uber staple of um, prismatic. No, not prismatic. Uh, Fabled passage. So, uh, defensible. I like it. I think uh, it's gonna. It, it'll get there. Travis. It's just about the numbers that I would want to see on
2: something like this. I think Miramaid is in the right sweet spot because there are a variety of effects that are similar, but it, it's cheap at three. It hits artifacts and enchantments, so it's useful. There's no obnoxious secondary clause. Um, so it's probably going to be towards the top of the list in terms of cards you're going to pick to accomplish this. And that you know, if we're talking about the foil EAs, which I'm, I think... This is, yeah, the foil EAs, then, uh, then I mean, that's the cream of the crop. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable shot. I wouldn't want to go, you know, I wouldn't put these at 60 or anything, but I think, uh, you know, mid-30s is probably pretty healthy. I mean, Thanks mid- for mid-30 inventions, Sundry Titan, which isn't even legal in Commander, is at 35, so there you go. <laughs> Thanks for a
0: and Correcting my verbal slip when I said you could copy uh, creatures, not enchantments. Oh. Um, but... artifacts is is what you're mostly going to be copying here but you know people are in commander people are dropping things like phyrexian arena and sylvan library into the battlefield so uh survival of the fittest etc so there's plenty of targets for mirmid all right so moving right along we've got uh your first pick cliff uh
1: my first pick this week is uh foil talisman of creativity that's the red blue talisman Uh, it's a mana rock that's in 18,000 decks online, uh, the non-foils at two bucks. Uh, right now you can get them for about $13 in foil. Uh, James, I know you picked this, uh, way back, uh, 172, so a little over a year ago to go from seven to 15, and I think the ramp's not done, so uh, I think going 13 to 25 is completely reasonable for a mana rock this common that, uh, doesn't involve green. You want to avoid the green mana rocks. They're not nearly as good as just ramping with lands. For our listeners that have access in Europe without even looking,
0: I'm going to guess that they're even cheaper there. Well, of course Probably they're cheaper in price.
1: Europe. I mean, that's 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 the default setting for everything we've been doing lately.
0: And I have a bunch of talismans that I, foil talismans that I cracked in Russian MH1 boxes. So I'm looking forward to the moment, whether it's six months or six years from now, when those are eventually worth major money.
1: Define major money for a foil in uncommon.
0: $30, $40 for a mana Rock like this.
1: All right. In English?
2: No Russian pool. Oh. All right.
0: <laughs> I mean, eighteen thousand decks reported. Yep, this is a
1: staple. So, Travis, what's your first pick this week? Uh, well, James has another one on the list here. Oh, I'm so sorry for skipping yeah.
2: James. Yeah, follow the spreadsheet clip. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Let me
0: let me fill in here that this is uh, mid to long. Chromatic Ori extended art foils were as cheap as, I think, 18 to 22. I bought some in Europe a while back, currently sitting at about 30 bucks in North America. I would think that given that it's already in 1300 EDH deck so far, and it's a summer mythic big mana rock in extended art foil version, that's very unlikely to see a reprint in that form anytime soon, uh, and is forming a steep ramp. I think 30 to 50 is entirely reasonable, and if you can get them even cheaper overseas, so be it.
2: Okay, so I remember talking about this card right before I left. Uh, top cards. Oh, Chromatic Orrery is twenty-first most popular. Hmm, disappointing.
1: <laughs> what were you expecting? You
0: mean for, you mean from you mean from the set? Yeah. Keep keep in mind the set in question is chalk a block full of. Excellent EDH card. True. I mean,
2: I'm looking at the the number one monocolored card is Garrick's Uprising at 1600 decks. Chromatic Orries at 1280. So it's still pretty good. There's a there's a ton of cards in this set that are all very evenly distributed. Um, I remember Jason didn't think it was good, and I was on the other side. I thought it was quite good. So I would have liked to see it number one, but uh, I, I still like the cards' outlook quite a bit here. And 30 bucks for the premium version, I think, is quite solid. I think I like that more. We haven't talked about the other options yet, but that might be my favorite pick of the week.
0: The other thing is, I'm pretty sure it's not 21, because EDHREC's default stats, of course, are a percentage of inclusion in decks. Jason, which Jason is right to um, point out needs to be considered. But it, you can't ignore raw deck count, because that that is the, to me... The springboard by which you figure out total number of copies that will sell.
2: Uh, yes, and I'm when I say that it's a twenty first, it is twenty first based on percentage. So I agree that it is a um, a metric that does not give you the full picture. However, I'm just at the raw copies, it's at thirteen hundred, whereas the highest monocolor card is you know a little over sixteen hundred. So it's um, you know it's an artifact that's slightly less popular than a good green card. Than the best green card so so the relative metric i would use is that
0: compare it to the other mythics how well they are doing in terms of reported decks that we already know are going to be big hits so fiery emancipation terror of the peaks Teferi master of time and mangara the diplomat are all in and around that 1100 to 1400 decks on edh rec so far range that this card is also in, so that tells me it is just as much of a staple. I yeah. think that
1: you're doing right by just forecasting a pretty modest gain for this going from thirty to fifty. You know, for just about any extended art mythic, um, that's already thirty dollars. I mean look I'm looking at T C G Player and none of these vendors has four. Everybody's in the twos and threes at most. Yep. So um, it's it's defensible at this this price gap. I, I agree, I don't think it's very good. When I get to 7 mana, I want to do the cool things, not place one more uh, mana rock out there, but I can see, you know, this being pretty sweet. See,
0: there's a lot of Morophon decks and other 5-color decks that are going to get built through the years that are going to slide this in there because it helps to guarantee late-game mana perfection. And It fixes and generates tons of mana on its own so it can be set up to do two card combos that do stuff. But the thing that's really got my attention here isn't that it is a medium good card, which is something I actually totally buy into. I think it's medium good, not amazing. Um, It's just that there is 25 listings left and that ramp is real steep. So it seems like a foregone conclusion, which is interesting because Core 21 does have extra Extended Art Foils per pack. It's It's at an elevated level. Looks like Wizards knows what they're doing yet again because here we are in the same way that we saw Core Twenty uncommon foils sell out when they were very popular, despite the fifty percent boost in foil rate. Here we have extended art foils. Granted, it's a mythic, not a rare, but they were at an elevated level uh, in those collector boosters, and this is still setting up a very nice ramp.
2: I like. I mean, I think your your price point here, thirty to fifty, basically sets you up to. Um... I mean, the the first time this card jumps, it's going to go to 50. Longer term, you could probably get 70 or 80 out of it, I would imagine, if you look at two years. Um, 50 will be the first jump. But, uh, yeah, overall, I think that, like I said, good choice. All
0: right, how about you, Travis? What's your first pick this week? Well,
2: I mean, it seems like there's probably some meat on the bones floating around in the double master space, but I haven't dug into it yet, so I stayed away from it for the time being. I, I know that spoilers for Zennikar Rising, Zen 3, start next week, um, so I thought I'd turn my attention there, and I am going to make the assumption that lands are going to matter in some capacity, and we'll see landfall or something similar to landfall, so I went and checked out uh, Omnath, Locust of the Royal, I think is the right one, who's a very popular commander, um, I think the most popular landfall commander technically, uh, although I guess Lord Windsong's probably up there too. In any case, um, I stumbled into Mina and Den, which I might have talked about in the past, but I feel like it's been quite a while. But Mina and Den foils out of the Oath of the Gatewatch are hanging around $5. I think there might be a copy or two under that, um, and then a bulk in the 5 to 6 range. But the supply isn't deep on those. I think there are, by the looks of it, um 18 vendors with pack foil copies and that includes foreign language and prices that are seven eight dollars and over so you're probably looking at a grand total of 20-ish um pack foils below let's say six bucks i don't even think it's that many um it's just going to synergize extremely well in any landfall deck and it's something to keep an eye on as we head into the spoilers it's not a card that i would necessarily go buy tonight um, I would like to see a little bit out of Zennikar rising beforehand, but really as soon as we have essentially some level of confirmation that you're getting some good landfall stuff, it might be worth checking out.
0: How deep was the inventory on the foils?
2: Uh, there are 18 vendors, but that includes
1: foreign language and stuff that's expensive. Always good to think about those. Uh, I I think there's a pretty easy one. Uh, Oath gate Gatewatch is from the... Uh, we didn't open a lot at the time it's a small set it's got all that going for it it's from when we had original uh foil drop rates This seems pretty solid to me
0: you can play an additional land on each of your turns so it's got a zoo's action and you can give something trample so if you're in a beater you know omnathy deck i'm sure this is in jason's deck that he beat me upside the head with not so long ago it
2: also lets you pick the lands back up right that's this card <coughs> Yeah, which is uh, lets you get to keep doing that crap. And if you're really nasty, you can tap your guy's cradle and then pick it up and then play it again.
0: (laughs) That is kind of nasty.
2: All right, I can buy that one.
0: Cliff, what about your next one?
1: Uh, My other pick this week is uh, Mystery Booster Retail Foil of Manamo, the school at Water's Edge. Uh, Right now you can get this foil at $10.00 and uh right now the non-foil from original champions is around 20 the original foil from there is around 70. Uh, that's a huge price gap that uh, is going to correct Uh, i'm picking it to go 10 to 30 to be a little bit more expensive than the non-foil original and the only difference between the uh, original one is that little bitty symbol down there in the corner 10 dollar foils for this seems ridiculous
0: Have at her, Travis.
1: I
2: Actually, really like that. I think this. Card Thank you, Travis. Is I mean, what is the EDH play on this? Sorry, hang on, I gotta look this stuff up. Uh, EDH play on this card is seven thousand decks, which is respectable, solid, yeah, respectable. Um, I like the effect, and that price gap is massive. Obviously, the pr- you know, I don't, I don't think seventy dollars is in any way a real price. For the Mystery Booster foils, um, you know, we're talking about a Champions foil, like that's definitely a supply thing more than a demand thing, uh, but there's definitely enough of a market here to make, te- these aren't, definitely enough of a market where these don't need to be $10, they can be, um, yeah, like you said, 20 to 30 I think is very respectable.
0: It's worth remembering that this is a mythic, not a foil rare. So it's not quite as rare as its rarity symbol and treatment would suggest, because foil rares are more rare than mythics. Um, But it did come off a 121 card sheet. I think my biggest concern is that the Wizards might elect to extend the print run or availability of Mystery Boosters Convention Edition into 2021. What? So if things start back in earnest, say let's call it June of 2021, you could get a whole another round of these being cracked constantly at uh Magic Fest. Well, if they if they're sitting on a bunch of inventory that they need an exit for.
1: Well, keep in mind that um this isn't in the convention edition. This is in the retail edition because the convention had the playtest cards, not the foils.
0: Oh, good. yeah, that's a good point. So retail edition how long will it exist the only other concern i would have then is that the um what i've said earlier is that the mystery booster editions could continue as an annual thing under normal circumstances and the list of foils might not get swapped out
1: 100% sure
0: now if i'm if i'm wrong about both those things that it will not be persistent and that it will, they'll just let it dry up and that there won't be a bunch of back inventory that'll drop on the market at some point. Then I'm totally in because you're right. That gap in the foils is large and it's not a card that got four or five reprintings, then a gap, then the mystery booster foil treatment. It was, you know, 15 years between the foils. And if you don't see it again for two, three, four years, then these foils will absolutely have time to appreciate.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with your sentiments regarding the the mystery boosters, um, and how Wizards is going to proceed with them could throw a lot of wrenches into some of these picks. Uh, but that just seems seems very difficult to try and make a educated, a reasonably educated guess on how they're going to choose to proceed with that. We basically have no real precedents for it. Um, they might decide that that eats into some of the other product lines they had in mind. They may choose to just let the current mystery booster product allocations be rare, um, and then allow that reprint equity to exist into the future. Maybe not. Like we just right, we don't know. Um, and I think it feels like it's the same type of thing as like spending a year talking about what green cards could get reprinted in Commander Green, and then it turns out there's three cards. I I don't know for sure. Obviously, I just think that mystery boosters cover enough bases and there's a big enough question mark around them at the moment that it almost seems it... we could find ourselves stumbling over this block on every card we talk about almost
1: that was true for like the- a lot of 2020 we were saying like oh commander legends is coming oh it's a summer of reprints we got all this stuff coming you know not knowing that there was a giant pandemic about to hit too
0: Sure. I mean, the other thing here is that there's 94 results on TCG Player with a fairly flat curve. We can actually, we don't actually have to call it at 10. We can call it at eight because there's plenty of copies available around that range. And I think if you said eight to 16, I'm more on board. Uh, there are some pretty big walls, like 95, which is a pretty big vendor, has 29 copies of the foil. They got to burn through those, and we got to hope that the the uh, retail editions don't become any more prevalent in the market, and then. I think we'll be okay. This, 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 as with many cards moving forward, is going to be a dice roll. Like, any of the non-super premium editions of things that are really hard to reprint in that form are just going to be at an elevated risk versus, you know, the easy breezy times we had prior to 2020.
1: I don't know that so I'd put, call just, it easy breezy, but all right.
0: Well, easy breezy in terms of, like, how much reprint risk there was. I mean, we've had... The Mystery Booster foil slot, we've had a bunch of reprints in Core 21, reprints in Jumpstart. There's a huge 300-card uh, list coming in Zennikar Rising and the set boosters, then we got Commander Legends, we got the uh, green Commander Collection. I mean, there's probably five or six times more reprints in 2020 than any previous year.
1: And more are coming.
0: Sure. All right, so my final pick this week is bolus Citadel, which was uh, in the top movers list. I don't think this card's done, and I think that you have a couple of opportunities still to get in uh, before the the you know jaws of the spec close. One is to get foil uh, copies of Citadel in Europe and/or Japan, around four bucks. They're still relatively readily available. Uh, that seems like a slam dunk to me, given that we're already seeing the North American copies dry up in the ten to fifteen dollar range. And in North America, you can still get the launch party promos in and around six to seven dollars, and that art I think is definitely better. Um, I always I assumed when this when the promo was announced that that was going to kill the spec much in the same way as Karns Bastion, but both cards are are big enough EDH staples that they have shrugged that off and pushed higher. So I think Citadel is. Uh, obviously already getting there and this is just riding the coattails which is exactly the kind of spec i love where i can sweep in and grab you know sweep up some copies as the action the market is already defining the action
1: i mean if you can get in at, especially at the europe price uh that's pretty solid uh what's this card like on edh rec uh hi let's see citadel is in drum roll please uh 20,000 commander decks uh 9% of all eligible ones that's a hot number yeah. especially for one Big that number. doesn't have uh you know the extended art treatments and it's before the foil rate got goosed uh that seems seems quite good
0: yeah and it's got some competitive chops too uh in in a variety of of oddball decks so th- This card has surpassed expectations and now is the moment to sweep up.
2: What is there to say if you're buying them for four bucks and they're pretty much sold out in North America under seven? (laughs) Yep. That's just a numbers game. Well,
0: the launch party promos are still on TCG under seven and they're going to be the next to go because there's only 15 listings left Yeah, and it's a real, it's a flat curve, but it's not going to last. And Comparing the art side by side, there's no question that the launch party is better.
2: Yeah. Okay. Sure. Works for me. All sure. right. We got uh, one one more pick here this week uh, from Travis. What's this one? Yeah, this one's a little weird. So I just want to get that out there that I, I initially didn't have it on the sheet. And then I was like, ah, I'll put it on there just so I, people don't think I'm shorting them on picks this week. But it's um, looking at perilous forays. Which is a a, a unique card. It's a um, like five or six mana enchantment that you can pay one, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a basic land, and put it in the play tapped. So, on the one hand, this lets you get some pretty silly engines going. Especially with anything that untaps your lands or whatever, because you can just kind of chew up a bunch of tokens and spit a ton of basics onto the battlefield. But they have to be basics, and it does require you that you have some creatures to eat. So it's kind of a very specific card, but it is quite powerful at what it does. Uh, What really catches my attention, it was only in Ravnica. Like, Ravnica. So... We're talking about a card that's got how many years old now? Like Ravnica was what, 2008 maybe? 2005. 2005. So a 15-year-old card with zero reprints. Uh, Supply is still relatively decent. I think there were something like 50-ish, 50 to 60 non-foil vendors and a handful of foil vendors Um, which is kind of surprising for a card this old. And I kind of wonder if this has sort of a Martin Stromkold problem, which is where it's a good card that people don't know exists and won't know it exists, essentially, um, unless somebody puts it in front of them. So I'm not advocating that you buy this card. This is not a a, a spec in the sense that, like, you should go think about going to grab these. I'm putting this on your radar because you could keep an eye on the spoilers. And if you see the right card float across your table, right? It's float through the spoilers. It could make this suddenly very, very good. The right commander in Zendikar could make perilous forays excellent. And then Jimmy Wong plays it on command commander clash or whatever. And suddenly this card is gone. And if you bought non foils at a dollar 50 and you got 30 of them, uh, you're going to be real happy because there's not going to be a supply of these given that's from the original Ravnica. But again, kind of a specific card. Um, and given that it hasn't spiked on any of the other landfall stuff, I can't, certainly can't tell you with, I have great confidence in it doing it this time without some specific help. Um, so have it on your radar. Don't make any purchases yet, but just be aware that it's out there essentially.
0: Alrighty. Fair enough. We're going to move on to the, uh, Pro trader pick of the week. We got Dylan the Wizard winning our $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. on the back of calling out Japanese uh, Cyclonic Rift box topper foils uh, was his pick. And he's suggesting you pick these up in Japan somewhere in and around $35 to $40, calling them to go to $80. I think this is just uh, a slam dunk. If you, could, if you picked up the foil box topper thought seizes that i told the pro traders to pick up in the discord last week under 40 and you ship them to japan for 60 i guess it's about 57 on buy list and then you use that money to buy japanese cyclonic foil uh, box toppers and bring them back to north america for future resale i think you'd be in a real nice position uh keep in mind that japan is not currently shipping to north america so you might need a bounce shipping partner or you might want to uh uh, ship domestically and then get it uh, over to yourself later. But uh, of course, if you're a pro trader, we can help with that kind of stuff. Worth pointing out that over on Haruuya, Her- Her- we've got uh, a few different opportunities on this uh, the Cyclonic Rift front. Uh, we can be getting these foil box toppers uh, close to forty, and I think the regular Double Masters copies of the card in Japanese are just seven fifty or so US. Uh, It's enough of a super staple that I would feel confident picking up 8-12 copies like that, aiming to unload them at 20 when this card recovers.
1: Yeah, that's difficult to argue with.
2: Cyclonic Rift always gets reprinted, but it always goes up before it does. So if you're getting a a good deal on them, they are real solid.
0: Japanese foil Cyclonic Rifts on Haruya are uh, about 17 US right now also seems solid the uh non-foil box topper cyclonic rifts in japanese are 24 dollars. i guess about 23 dollars. all of this just seems great uh, a cart full of cyclonic rifts will do just fine the only thing i would be worried about is that they would print rift again in commander legends which would hurt uh, because there will be collector boosters uh for that set not vips so you're going to be seeing some extended art uh versions of cards out of there and if they gave us rift
1: twice in within three or four months then yeah that might sting i would not worry about it uh to be honest like it's it's that level of staple would you be worried travis uh i mean i wouldn't be happy to
2: see it i and i i'm on the fence about whether i think they would put it there or not i mean they printed monocrypt a lot did they ever print it six months apart i don't remember uh give give or take
0: we've gotten it twice and yeah, we've gotten it in twice in six months. the The other thing is we they've already shown us that the coordination between set designs this year has not been uh, super on point. Either they were intentionally double printing things, or they weren't paying attention. Either way, it's a reprint it adds up to additional reprint risk. So, you got a bunch of options here. I think that the Japanese foil box toppers. Uh, You know, the Extended Arts are the least likely to be impacted by a reprint elsewhere. But something something tells me this one's going to be fine. It's hard to go wrong with Cyclonic Rifts. It's one of those things where just selling it for what you got it would always be a would be a possibility (laughs) yeah if you if you had to
2: yeah i mean again even if it gets reprinted it's annoying but i don't think you're going to be too beaten up about it and if they were if they reprint this card twice this year like are they going to run it back again next year i don't know that seems like a bit of a tall order
0: time will tell All right, so we're going to say goodbye to our co-host, Cliff Daigle. Thank you so much for all of the help while Travis has been uh, out doing his daddy thing. And I'm sure we'll have Cliff back again uh, sooner rather than later. We're going to hop on over to talking to Ellie of the Veil in a moment.
2: Cliff, I I really appreciate you hopping in for me. Uh, James calling it daddy time is really creepy. Please don't do that. Uh, (laughs) But Cliff, uh, thank you so much for filling in for me. I really appreciate it. Um, And
1: uh, always a pleasure to get a chance to to co-host with you. It's always a good time. Uh, I think this is the first time the three of us have done one for a while. I don't remember, but eventually we'll get a chance to all uh, meet up at some GP someplace. It'll be great. (laughs) You just have to wait uh, nine years for my kid to get in the magic. Oh, you know, that's, (laughs) That's not that long. You know, a good battle box, you can start a little earlier. I keep trying, but <laughs> mine just, they re- I keep saying I can lightning bolt your face, and she just wants to throw the cards at my face, so I'm working on it.
2: Okay, but nine is the minimum age that I'll bring a child to Vegas, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, one day you're going to have to explain to me how you arrived at that number. That was the first one I said. <laughs> okay, all right. Beautiful reasoning. Good night, gents. Have a good conversation.
0: Okay, moving right along to our topic of the week. We've got a special guest this week. We are going to be having a a pre-planned engagement here with Ellie of the Veil. You can find her on twitch.tv, Ellie of the Veil, sponsored by Cardsphere, Um, a former pro trader um, that uh, has spent some time inside our walls, as it were, and has interacted with us a few times on social media uh, with some critique and commentary about uh, mGG finance and our actions and and uh, communications uh, in particular and we're super happy to have Ellie here thank you for coming on
3: well thank you for having me uh, hello hopefully it's a <laughs> hopefully it's a good good conversation good conversation
0: we're totally I'm, looking forward to it
2: yeah I'm glad to have you on I remember when you first started messaging me on Twitter, um, you know, sharing, having some discussions about Magic Finance, and I was really pleasantly surprised to see a woman of color mm-hmm. ha- engaged in the content because my mentions are almost strictly white men. So <laughs> I was like, wow, this is great. Like, somebody, something a little outside the what I'm used to seeing, this is excellent.
3: Yeah, so it's actually um, kind of funny. I think um, I started playing Magic in 2014, but the thing that actually got me into magic was like the finance aspect of it in terms of um I actually just really love trading and I just really love this idea and I like picked it up really quickly of like going to stores and like having my cards and trading it for other people's cards and um this kind of like it was like a t- its own strategy game which I'm sure you guys have heard uh, or like know of um but like where you're trying to turn whatever cards that you have into something that's long-term going to have more value or just in some way. So that really, like, hooked me. And then um pretty early on, I guess, I think I found – maybe – I think I found y'all's podcast after um, Eldrazi Winter, like in the summer after Eldrazi Winter. And I, like, went back because I was like, well, maybe these guys are, like, you know – Cheats, which is—I f- mean, it's fair. I think it's a fair assessment. It's—it's yep, yeah. it's like a—it's like a normal thing. When I say cheats, by the way, so I might say some things that will sound like like insults, but um, it's not like I—I I don't necessarily mean it that way. It's more like, uh, this is how I just expect humans to to behave in a certain way. Sure. And so it's like it's just sort of what it is. It doesn't make me upset or anything though. But like I was like, okay, these guys probably might just be cheats trying to take my money, which makes sense. But um, I'll just like go back and I'll listen and like a lot of the like I listen to I guess y'all's picks and things like that and I had a really shallow like really really shallow understanding even then about how everything works so I was mostly focused on the things that you guys pick to go like up or whatever. And it was like, well, it does, it seems like this bears out over time. Like, it doesn't seem they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and then, yeah, so I listened to, it was mostly y'alls, and then I found Brainstorm Brewery. And I think I listened to, like, those, y'alls, those two podcasts, like, the most when I first started playing. Because I wasn't super interested in, like, magic strategy, but, um, or play, And I'm still really not that much, but it's <laughs> so this, yeah. this
0: this whole perspective is pretty fascinating, to be honest, because oh. we don't often get to interact with somebody who can still remember what their early onboarding experience was mm-hmm. like into magic. Quite a few of the pro traders are, you know, lifers that have been around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years oh, or more. Um, there aren't a lot mm-hmm. of brand new people, just from the the perspective of, or I guess from the because of the fact that the finance side can is both complicated, involved, and represents a higher level of engagement than many casual players would typically find themselves uh, engaging in upfront.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: I'd love to go just step back for a second and hear more from you about you know who introduced you to the game and how. Mm. You, you got hooked into that trading and like some of your early trading adventures.
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was working as a waitress um, at this little dinky Italian restaurant where the owner never wanted to pay us in the summer. And, um, <laughs> but he did buy his wife a Porsche <laughs> the same summer. Uh, he held my paycheck that,
0: for that, three that, weeks. That's the, that's a, that's a, Metaphor for the 1% if I've ever it's, heard it, one. it
3: was really something. He, That's capitalism. He held our paychecks for three weeks, but he bought his wife a Porsche. It was something. Um, but another guy wow. who was, like, um, working with me, he just told me about magic. And it sounded like he was talking about D&D. And by the way, I was playing for a solid year and a half before I realized, like, this is the same company. Um, I had no idea. <laughs>
2: do, you, do, do you know? Do you know why magic exists? I have no.
3: no I, st- I still don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
2: they wizards of the well. I, I, was it wizards of the coast. They Richard asked Garfield. Richard no. Garfield to des- it w- Well, someone asked him, and I thought it was Wizards of the Coast, but it might have been a different company at the time. Asked him to design a game players could play in between their D and D games.
3: Mm, well, that makes sense. I hate it. I- <laughs> I
2: mean, my, my understanding of the legend was that
0: it was in between, like, in lineups at conventions or something. But all, all of yeah. the above is probably true. This, the, the idea that it was a gap game you would play in five or ten minutes, which is funny because it didn't end up there. But Yeah, it was funny to me are. when
3: he was first talking about it because he was like, literally, it's like, well, you're like a wizard. He explained it in the worst way possible. He's like, you're like a wizard, <laughs> but you're not a wizard. But like, you're like casting spells. And anyway, please play with me because my girlfriend won't play with me anymore. <laughs> he liked you. He liked it. And then, and then he's like, and also oh, they had just boy. moved here too. And he's like, yeah, I would like somebody to play with, and also I want my girlfriend to also have somebody to play with because she yeah. like also doesn't want to. Well, he just didn't want to take her into an LGS, Very which was fair. super fair because she, we, her and I went once. This is like the first LGS I went to. Honest to God, the guy who worked at the LGS, like, stared at us without blinking for, like, hours. And then we just left. We were just like, this is too weird. We're just leaving. So, um, Mm -hmm. but my first, but the first thing we did, I was like, okay, sure. Um, I'm, like, the kind of person I am. I'm sort of just down for whatever as long as I don't, not, basically, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. But if I am ambivalent, I'll probably do it. So um, I was like, sure, whatever. So we went to Walmart and got uh, f- uh, the M14 fat pack or whatever. And it was kind of weird because they were like huddled around me while I was like opening this package. Like we we're a bunch of little <laughs> like freaking goblins, um, just like. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't understand what was going on, but like we're all like huddled around this like treasure, trying to figure- and gonna see what what I open. And, uh, yeah, so I, like, open packs, and they're like, oh, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get? And, like, keep in mind, they hadn't explained to me the rules or how this game really worked or anything. <laughs> they just had me go spend 50 bucks and just, like, open the, this thing. Did
2: you get anything good? I don't know. There's cards in here. I, I don't, don't know what any of them do. I don't know what AIMS
3: means, was basically what I said all the time. I remember my first rare being, um, Mercurial Pretender. It's, like, two and two blue. It's, like, a clone thing. Um... Wow. Yeah.
2: You're the only person that remembers I, that card. Yeah, I didn't even know that was crazy. to God.
3: Yeah. And then I opened the, a Johnny Planeswalker at the time, and they were like, oh, this is so awesome. So I guess, it, but it was like, ooh, this is like a rush. I'm opening packs. Ooh. The,
2: you mean I can gamble the, under the 18? The gambling thrill.
3: Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. I didn't really quite piece it in my head that that's what I was doing, but um yeah. And then from then on, it was like, um, I think I kind of got into the game as trading was dying. So yeah,
0: 2014. Yeah. yeah. So, you, 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 def- you definitely missed your golden era of trading. Yes, I sure.
3: certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I felt like I was playing catch up. A, a big part of it was, yeah, I felt like I was just playing catch up um, in terms of collections, in, ter- in terms of learning. And so I was just... um, But I thought, oh, I could trade into these things that I wanted. And eventually, I was pretty good at it. Um, I think I built myself... Yeah, I ended up trading, like, the Jeskai Black deck into a Tron and a Jun deck. And there Mm -hmm. was just, like, some really... Yeah, like, I... I got myself into, like, from from nothing to, like, a really decent... Some fairly serious teams, competitive fairly decks. Fairly serious, yeah. yeah, competitive decks and, like, a very decent collection. Um, and then I think part of it was, like... But, but at the same time, I was doing all this, like, listening to finance and, like, uh, trying to figure out trading, doing all these things. I was making, like, also some really irresponsible decisions um, as well and uh eventually got to the point where like yeah sure my magic collection was super bloated but um you know i was also like in debt and still strapped for cash you know the age-old story of an mm-hmm. irresponsible magic player
0: so, so are we talking about booster boxes going on
3: to credit cards uh we are talking about booster boxes going on to credit cards we are absolutely sure. i didn't have a credit i didn't have a credit card before i went to college um and my parents aren't they're not bad at money, but they never really taught me about money. I didn't really know anything about managing that kind of stuff, but I just had a super high credit card limit. And um, I think I put like, four, I think I did something freaking crazy. Like one of the modern, ma- one of the master sets that came out, I think I put like four boxes on a credit card or something. Like.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a grand yeah, right it was there. Like
3: a, yeah, it was like something insane. Um, and yeah. It,
2: it seems like a lot of, um poor decisions in regards to magic expenditures, mm-hmm. especially on the younger crowd, mm-hmm. stems from poor financial literacy, which they inherited from their parents. And it's certainly – well, widespread, you know, prevalent in our community. But I don't think it's limited to magic, but I can definitely see that because I had peers and friends who also their parents weren't great with money and they didn't really learn and school's not teaching you. right? Um, so they don't, you know, you're 18 years old, you got a credit card in your pocket, you don't quite grasp that you have to give that money Yeah,
3: back. and it was like fine, you know, because I had a job through college and I wasn't paying student loans. But then when I got out of college, it was absolutely not fine because um, it was like all catching up to me and like the thing so there was a couple there was my own stuff and I tend to like while I do have genuine critiques I think of a sort of MTG finance like the the umbrella term I guess um, I do take responsibility for like my own bad decisions here and that's not really on anybody but me in my opinion Um, but yeah it was a lot of trying to keep up with other players and like trying to keep up with the best deck Um, kind of listening to advice and not actually understanding that I was in a place to take advantage of that advice, which is kind of one of my Mm -hmm. critiques with finance. And it's not that it's necessarily on the fault of finance creators, but I do think, um, yeah, advice is given and it's not always clear, If like who that applies to. And then like sometimes you'll think um, like one of the reasons why I stopped um, subscribing to like pro traders and in general I just sort of stopped listening to like finance stuff uh, in terms of magic was just because I was like I realized um, this advice isn't for me because I don't have the kind of cash to be really taking advantage of what these people are saying. Um, And it's like y'all are bringing me to the water, but I'm not really learning how to fish. Okay, that's not the phrase I understand, but like I still wasn't really learning how to fish for myself anyway. So I was just like, "This is a bad recipe." It's, it's kind of it's more like
0: it's more like we're expecting you to go uh, catch a shark, but the bait for that is real expensive, and we didn't provide any information on how to get the bait.
3: Right? Yeah. My God. Yeah, it was
2: kind of like that. The me- the- the metaphors being massive. <laughs> right.
3: yeah. I'm really all over that place. I'm sorry for people that. who like metaphors. Knows, so, yeah. I,
2: so Ellie, I I, I respect um, for sure the the the, the experience uh, in, of finding content and having difficulty a putting it into context mm-hmm. and also getting to the point where you were mature enough and, and educated enough to realize that you might not be the target audience for it. And if we, if we kind of spin this around, it's something that I've wondered about, um, having, doing this, you know, I've been doing this work for, for years and years and years now. Um, and you know, I've been on the podcast exclusively now for, I don't know, a year or two. And it's, um, uh, you know, we don't, James and I can have a good idea of who we expect our audiences.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but we don't, you know, we don't have like, we're not a, we're not a major company. We don't have uh, major marketing tools available to us. It's hard for us to, to really acutely know what our audience mm-hmm. is and what um, information they're bringing and what context in their own lives are bringing to our content. So we tend to operate at a, I'm going to say, I don't want to say high level, but a more advanced level because we assume most people engaged, listening to this and making the time flows on a regular basis are reasonably um versed in not only the the game and the market but um, you know greater economic concepts not only because we talk about it but because by virtue of the amounts of money we tend to talk about it's not, probably not an 18 year old who right. really shouldn't be spending more than 50 bucks a month on magic but i at the same time i totally believe that some of these individuals find their way into this and it's it makes it hard for i guess it's It's hard for us because I don't know how to tailor the content Mm. to make sure that I'm speaking to the people who, you know, are going to be our bread and butter listeners. But also I'm not accidentally leading some newer listeners down a path that they're going to get kind of lost in the woods because they don't have the context. Um, Yeah, and it's tricky for us. And and frankly, it's a problem I'm not exactly clear how to solve.
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely... Kind of the case. Um, It took me a while to sort of get that I wasn't like your uh, sort of target um, audience. Um, And I think what, and I I genuinely think there are a lot of people who do, and this is what I was kind of getting at on Twitter. I think there are people who are misinformed, um, who get involved into finance, like and make poor decisions based on advice they're getting. And it's not necessarily because that advice that they're getting is bad; it's that their context is off, and like they want to treat this like. And it doesn't. It really doesn't help though when you f- phrase things in a certain way, like, um, you know, like there's empty. I know you guys say that it's like, oh, it's not quite like the stock market or whatever, but it's like, well, people are really trying to treat it like the stock market, and that's just not super realistic for um, some people. Like it does. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, and like people because I guess if you think of people who are not educated in the stock market, their idea of the stock market is, ooh, it's like a get rich quick thing, but they don't really understand how it works, so then they get in they make a bad decision, and they lose a bunch of money it's the same with MTG Finance Is like, you get in, you think oh, this is kind of how it works, I just pick this card, spend a bunch of money pick this card, or I buy this product, and then in 6 to 8 months, I flip it and boom profit, but at the same time, we're, you know, that, that's not really how it works because you're not taking into the account the, the time effort that you're having to put in to even figure out what those cards are. Um, you're not taking into account like the fact that freaking most sites are going to take like what? You, like, what is it? TCG takes like 20% or something like that? They, they, or they takes like some kind of crazy... It, like 12-ish. 12th? Okay, so they 12-ish. take like 12-ish percent. And then you have shipping. If you try and sell on Facebook, which I tried, I was like, oh, I'll just sell on Facebook and I'll like make more. No, because people want to get the best deal there. So you're having to sell at TCG low. It's all the same. Um, so you're not really making as much money. But then you have people who think... Who are misinformed and like me... Who think that you can, and then they just end up wasting a bunch of time and resources. And it's not necessarily like content creators' fault, um, though. Sometimes I wish things were like phrased in a more realistic way. But um, like what you're saying is, if you guys are assuming that your audience is at you know this income level or this, fi- or I should say, this financial literacy level, then that's what you're assuming and going off of. And you know, who am I to tell you that you're wrong?
0: Well, I mean, there's a ton of fascinating subject matter here. So I I want to rewind the tape mm. back a little bit to the commentary you guys were both making about um, financial literacy and in the inheritance or lack thereof that some of us have from our parents. Um, you know, I, I don't recall ever getting any kind of meaningful financial um, discussion out of my, my available parental units either mm. <laughs> um, along the way. And I think that, in some ways, we also have to lay some of this at the feet of the education system, because sometimes when your parents aren't in a position to uh, share economic best practices uh, with you, it's often because their parents weren't either and their parents before them. And th- there really is kind of a very limited pool of career paths where, you know, your parents, if they are pursuing those, mm-hmm. are going to end up in a position where they can pr- you know provide, for instance excellent tips on debt management and in depth discussions of consumer debt and the pitfalls thereof. And a lot of that I just lay at the the feet of we don't have a financial literacy program in the public school system in North America that is, you know, a requirement. Some schools and some systems will have it available as an optional class that you might take for, you know, half a year or something in grade eleven. But and they'll call it something like, you know, personal finance or accounting mm-hmm. or whatever. And they'll give you some tidbits to, to get you kind of moving. But then if you leave that and, say, go to a liberal arts degree at a college or you just go out in the workforce and start working, then you've basically received no information whatsoever. And you're just doing everything by the seat of your pants. So I can completely understand, you know, having been a university student back a ways down the road that made 6000 a year or whatever. Um, and paid most of my own bills Mm -hmm. that things can be you know pretty confusing pretty tricky and it's pretty easy to get led astray if you're you know buying into the the wrong kinds of content
2: there's a whole vein here to discuss in the way that the education system isn't really giving a lot of students the tools they need to prepare for the real world but Mm -hmm. uh yeah. And, and, my goal, and I, I'm not trying to like shunt responsibility, but I agree that, you know, at a, at, a, at a grander level beyond just magic, but applicable to magic, you do have the issue that a lot of people come into this without the the tools necessary to truly appreciate what they're hearing.
0: Right. And so I do, I do want to circle back to, you know, getting back to laying some of that at the feet of MTG Finance content creators and where, And discussing in more depth the responsibilities but first i want to hear Mm. from ellie about how she bridged the gap from competitive decks you're carrying around a binder and then you stumble on the podcast and then what what is your experience like like do you remember what it was like when you were going back listening to old episodes and trying to suss out if this was something that was useful to you
3: yeah um i do remember going back and thinking like okay well Obviously, like, I was like, well, maybe there's something I met. Part of it was like, well, I need, I want to figure out some other way to keep doing the sort of game I'm playing, um, but without, like, having to trade, because that's really not happening um, anymore, and I still want to be able to um, grow my collection and, like, like make a little money on the side or whatever. Um, And so I would, like, go back and listen to... (laughs) You always have the. Your first segment is always so long. Man. It was so long. I would skip it sometimes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would skip no. it because it'd be like an hour. <laughs> I mean,
0: there's a there's a lot of repetitive content, and mm. if you're talking about the preamble leading up to
3: the picks, um,
0: the the picks. Yeah, then, when you're talking sure. about
3: like uh, what's what's uh, gone up and down, you know, like when y'all are discussing that segment. Um, okay. I would, like, I'd listened to that for a while, and I was like, okay, um, I was mostly listening, I was always listening for, like, a reason, like, why it was doing it, or kind of, like, oh, maybe there's, like, a pick in here or something, because part part of it was, like, well, I don't play all these formats, so I don't really know what's going on, Um, which... I mean, I guess I could have just asked the players around me who played that format what was good and probably would have saved myself a lot of time, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, uh, And then I would, like, listen to y'all's picks and be thinking, like, okay, does this make sense to me? Um, Is this kind of, like, uh, I get excited about some. I, 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 I got excited a lot about EDH stuff. Um, not so much other things. I do remember as y'all started talking about more and more, um, high end stuff. And when you started talking about European arbitrage, that's where I sort of got lost. Cause at that point <laughs> I started feeling like I, there were some things that I started kind of piecing together for myself and you're free to tell me that I'm wrong. Um, I'm not, but you can free to tell me that, but I was like, well, okay. Um, this is starting to, uh, I don't want to use scam. It wasn't like that. It was more like, well, these guys are telling me these picks, you know, their picks, what they think are, is going to go up in whatever time period. But, like, how did they, but I, I was, like, kind of unsatisfied because I didn't really understand how y'all were getting there still. That was still sure. sort of lost to me. So I sort of felt like I was just, you know, taking what was being handed to me and then I was questioning, like, well, I mean, they most likely already have a bunch of stock in this anyway. And they've already picked it. And that was some of my experience, too, or whatever, which was, like, this episode would come out. I would listen, and I would go, and I'd be, like, look at it. And then it's, like, this stuff's already gone up. Um, you know, that sort of thing was happening. So it kind of felt like I was, like, being, uh, yeah. It kind of felt like I was being kind of, like, taken for a ride a little bit. Um, and then it got to – but. I, Yeah, but then it got to the point where y'all were talking about European arbitrage. And I was like, uh, that's not really something I can participate in. And it just got, like, the more, like, more and more, like, really high-end expensive stuff. And I understood why, in a sense, like, why y'all talk about that stuff. Because obviously it's, like, you know, 20% on $5 isn't that much. But 20% on $500 is, you know, I guess much more appealing um sure you know I understood that difference but it wasn't something that I could participate in anymore like I couldn't like do that stuff reasonably
0: yeah and so, and so that I think that's a very reasonable frustration and that's certainly something we've struggled with along the way is that say three years ago because I think the, the very first time that Travis and I got pretty serious about European arbitrage was when we noticed over I think christmas maybe 2017 or something like that it was either 2016 or 17 i have to double check that the masterpiece inventions from kaladesh Mm -hmm. were Mm -hmm. way too cheap in europe and so that became a pretty a predominant theme in the cast for about three to six months where at least it wasn't every week but on several occasions we were calling out masterpieces that were still too cheap in europe we were underscoring that the buy list here basically supported the buy in price in europe And that there was virtually no risk because of that and that, you know, it wasn't uh, anywhere near as easy as just hopping onto eBay and ordering a card, you did have to go jump through some hoops to get set up for Europe, but that once you did that, the benefits were, were fantastic. And we certainly caught, I mean, you're not the only one to think, hey, I did, like. that's kind of a stretch, isn't it? Like, European arbitrage, I just want to play a card game. Mm-hmm. But, and there were certainly other content creators in our sphere that were making comments on their own, in their own content. <laughs> I don't that really
3: like, remember that. Ha,
0: like, like, ha, 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 how silly, Europe. And now, fast forward to 2020, and everybody talks about Europe, right. because... You, Europe and Japan uh, arbitrage is a really big deal. It's actually a major underpinning of the economic forces in the game. And also one of the most common uh, strategic moves that vendors make on a regular basis, like buying stuff in Europe to sell in North America, Mm -hmm. buying stuff in North America to sell in Japan. You know, this week we just noticed on the cash, or we're talking about on the cast before we had you on, that Allosaurus Shepherd out of... Uh, jumpstart because of the shortages of that product especially overseas and the delayed release dates overseas is on the Harayuya buy list in Japan for like $155 US or something and was available as low as 70 or 80 only a couple of weeks ago in North America mm-hmm. so you need to have a way to get those cars to Japan and actualize that trade but if you can pull that off it's it's yeah I mean right. as appealing as you as you
2: referenced it's Th- that content has always been challenging because it was so on brand for what for <laughs> what we were doing right and like so extremely relevant to uh, you know our, our what we anticipated out of our listeners and for what we were doing but at the same time I knew and we talked about this uh if not on cast i definitely off cast like hey this is this is going to be really hard for most people to capitalize on yeah. Um, And we kind of were like, well, it's good for the people who know. We're putting it on people's radar. And at least people know what's going on, even if they can't capitalize on it. Like, which is better than, I guess, like just never saying anything and people having no idea. But it was, you know, I always had to kind of have that on my radar. Like, this this is definitely getting harder for the average listener to get Right, and I to. think
3: that's like one of the big... I guess, um, like, a conflicts, um, I like the word in Spanish better, but the, one of the, uh, conflicts with, um, general, um, like the general magic population, you know, that's just trying to enjoy their game and play their cards and do their thing. And then, you know, the sort of finance community that's on, in a whole different space, And it's, it it was one of those things that for me, for me, yeah, I kind of felt a little bit shut out by it just because of my own means. But then also like, yeah, it was like this layer onto a game that was like kind of like a little bit too, it was like too galaxy brain. And I think it also (laughs) like, it makes sense on your end as the people making the content, you want relevant information you're also like you're also selling a product yourselves which is your, your own services your own content um and so like you want there to be value behind that and i get it um but then it, i think it does like also is like an example of something that perpetuates this idea of like the 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 cabal that goes behind the scenes and they do all these like sketchy stuff um you know it sort of like perpetuates this like weird idea, even if it's not all true, it's like one of those I things spit, that kind of, it kind of goes along I that vein. Um, yeah.
2: I so wish I was that cool. <laughs> uh,
3: I mean, I mean, that's one of those things. So I'm, I'm of the mindset that like there's, there's what we would all like ideally think of the world and what we should do. And then there's just kind of like what the system allows you to do. So I think right now magic is, at least the the secondary market all the stuff it's like it's not regulated really um it's just doing whatever it's gonna do um so you can take advantage of things like arbitrage or um i don't really want to call it insider trading because it's not exactly that but you know information that you have that the general population may not um whether that's because they it's something that you were sent in confidence or because they just weren't paying attention, which is, I feel like, a, yeah. what a lot of it is. But either way... Um, yeah, you have, like, all this sort of stuff going on. Um, and uh, I lost my train of thought, but there we are.
0: Well, I mean, those, there's a lot There's a lot to chew on Sorry, there, so yeah. let me dive in on some of it. The The insider trading angle, in terms of advanced information, is the best... Uh, comparison or the the connection point between the negative feelings and portrayals of MTG finance as being like a stock market mm-hmm. because insider trading is a thing that you prosecute people for in a public stock market. So sure. if you see somebody else that has advanced information then you know that comparison is natural.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: I would counter I would counter however that that is about where it all stops. And I would argue that MTG finance when you're operating at the galaxy brain level or attempting to Mm -hmm. is much more like hustler culture than it is anything like the stock market. The Stock market is very kind of numbers driven. It's a lot of the advantages in that market are either about advanced information or exclusive information, or they are about the statistical advantages afforded by having the resources to bring powerful software to bear. Whereas, in MTG Finance, it's much more about who you know, how big your network is, how good your, your basic research is, you know, how much time you're putting into it, and the longevity of your experience. And those are all the same kinds of things that would make you, for instance, a really good
3: drug dealer. True. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. that's sorry. That I remember my my original point. Yeah. So there's I think right now the way that the finance market is or whatever the sphere is where it's like unregulated and you have all this stuff going on. Um, it's there's there's what's right and there's what you can do and if a system is sort of set up in a way that's you can take advantage of things, I think it's just natural for people to do that and maybe it's, it's, but it's still sketchy. So like, you know, maybe you guys aren't as sketchy as the stock market, but you're sketchy as drug dealers. So it's, I mean, you're still, it's still sketchy either way. Um, not, I mean, I try not to get hung up on that. Um, but I think, yeah, people get, people really focus on the, this making that connection between like the sketchy things they see that are actually illegal. And then they look at, Magic finance um, with whatever information that they have, and they and they sort of like put two and two together, and sometimes it's four, and sometimes it's not four.
0: So I think I mean I think it's very useful to assess the various forms of sketchiness that can exist in MTG finance, and mm-hmm. and figure out who's doing what. Like I think when you were talking about how early on you just kind of assumed you were being led down the garden path or that there was a scam going on is a pretty good reaction, honestly. Whenever I'm out there parsing mm-hmm. financial literature around stocks, because I also manage my own stock portfolio and have for quite some time, um, I'm running a lot of those same filters. And mm-hmm. I, I remember quite distinctly that when I decided that I wanted to be involved in the content production for m g Finance, it came from a place of feeling as though Based on my experiences with the content creators at the time, that they either weren't providing enough of the information that I needed, or that I felt like they were running game. So, yeah. and and one of the most common ones is one that you were refer you you, uh, you felt we might be engaged in that you mentioned earlier, which was basically talking up your own book. So the process Mm -hmm. of saying, you know, going deep on a card before you make content about it with the intent, the express purpose of trying to get other people to mop it up at a higher price point than your entry point so that they can secure the plateau that will allow you your exit. Yeah, I I felt like there was plenty of that going on (laughs) uh, when I first started paying attention to that content, say, seven or eight years ago. And it was part of the reason that I picked the the Twitter handle MTG critic. Like that, the whole plan there was that I was going to, you know, root out some of that bullshit, both with the people that were creating content and also just calling wizards out and analyzing them from you know right. a logical uh, set of paradigms. So,
3: yeah, I mean, yeah, I know, I, should, I, yeah, I, I think we kind of. Yeah, I think we kind of agree here. Yeah, the the that talking up your own book, I think happens. Now, granted, when I normally when I hear when I I recall listening to you guys and um, hearing you say you have something. Now, obviously, you could be lying, uh, or by you could be lying by omission. I don't know that. I'm not accusing. I'm not laying that at your feet. It's just possible. Um, But I do remember y'all saying, you know, it's like, okay, just, we do have this or or something like that. I do actually, I remember, (laughs) I think I've listened to y'all a couple of times and y'all would buy some like, ah, while you record, um, which I thought was funny. Um, but the same thing, uh, but, but I've listened to other, um, podcasts too, or other finance stuff. And they say that, you know, I think that part has gotten, at least it's gotten better or that's existed. Um, because Brainstorm Brew, they'll say the same thing, like, you know, oh, I have like a million of this card. Now, normally that's because, you know, they'll say it was a failed spec at some point in time. And so it's just been sitting in a box. Or DJ um,
0: pulled it out of bulk or Or whatever.
3: DJ pulled it out of bulk. Yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. Um, so, but I, I so, think it's normal if that's, if that's what happens. Like, I'm just like, that makes sense. You've picked up a card. um and this is how I think people on social media are seeing it, too. They're just thinking, like, oh, well, of course, y'all are charging. How much do y'all charge for MTG Pro Trader now? Has that changed? Like $5? Eight. It's $8 $5? a month or okay. 80 bucks a year. I don't remember anything. But, okay, so $8. So it's like, yeah, these guys are charging $8 to tell people to buy cars that they already have themselves. Of course. It's a racket. Um even though um, I I like it when people say racket. Um, It's a good word. It's a great word, right? It's a great word. Um, It's very Godfather. I love it. Um, But yeah, so that's the perception there. And I kind of had that feeling, um, though it wasn't super heightened when I was listening to the content.
0: Let me break this, this whole issue down from my perspective, and then maybe Travis will chime in with his own thoughts. The... Here's what I feel about talking your own book. First of all, I think that you should advise people that that's hap- that, that you are very likely to own or intend to own cards that you talk about. Mm-hmm. I tell pretty much anybody who asks, and we bring it up on cast semi me regularly, that if we're talking about a card, just assume that we own it. Like, that's sure. just your safest bet. And I think that that's a good filter for people to have with all content creators, regardless you know if, if you're watch, if you you know we don't advise people to watch rudy but if you're going to watch rudy just mm-hmm, understand that <laughs> you know just understand that if he brings up a product it's cuz he has a bunch yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: and and some people are much more shameless about this than others we like to fancy ourselves as people that are bringing in intellectual rigor to this process and that wouldn't recommend something that didn't wasn't logical so mm-hmm. whether or not i have 0 copies 5 copies or 50 copies That's not really what it's about. It's about does the play pattern for this card, its rarity, the lack of reprints, its arbitrage potential, etc. justify this pick regardless of how many copies I own. Mm -hmm. Because my reputation on a month-to-month basis already takes enough lightning strikes (laughs) that to throw more fuel on that fire needlessly by, you know, pointlessly picking a card that, say, was a failed spec of mine. For no other reason than it was a failed spec is just kind of anthenema to me like I would never even dream of doing it because it's just so silly and because we like to think that we don't need to like we we can just pick good things that are solid picks <clears throat> and then also run that through the filter of what we've also been telling people for a while which is ignore 75% of what you hear anyway if we're, yeah. we're going to make four picks a week we, we encourage you to figure out why three of them are worse than the other and, you know, narrow things down. And then, you know, maybe run that through a second pass filter that says, do I just have other options elsewhere? Like, could I just take my time and money and go work harder? Could I just go take my time and money and put some, put another payment off my mortgage or my credit card? There are a lot of situations where our advice doesn't fit uh you know parts of the target audience and you know your your own uh history with the with the interactions you know highlights that pretty decently
2: we we, we've always tried to be uh each of us individually as well honest about our own positions and and like you said state it regularly so that people know we're um We're we're in on stuff we talk about. I mean, this is ultimately a issue with any sort of financial services Mm -hmm. content creation. Right. Jim Cramer got harassed about it. There are differences and we've talked about it. I won't belabor them here, but it has come up. Um, There's something else I wanted to say, but we're now several minutes in and I lost track. Of what I was going to mention, although Ellie, don't think I don't see you tweeting over there. Listen, in listen. The middle of recording,
3: <laughs> I multitask. It's my ADHD. I can't. I don't know if you've been able to tell from my circular way of speaking. Um.
2: <laughs> well, okay. So let, let's take this moment then, Ellie. Um, yeah. You know, we, we kind of just started off on a string and ran with it. Yeah. Uh, is there is there a specific bullet point here that you you want to address that we like we haven't gotten around to yet?
3: Um. Hmm, I think, so to me, the most important thing that if you're like, if you're a content um, creator, that you sort of, you know, you acknowledge your role and responsibility in the content that you make, in the sphere that you participate in. And as long as you're like, upfront about what you're doing, and you like, own that, I don't really have a problem with it. So, um, you know, for me, I don't have a problem if you talk up your books if that's what you're saying you're doing because it makes but you're backing it up with like the logic of why you're still making this pick that makes sense to me. I don't really even have a problem with these weird oh that's what I want sorry ADHD there's a squirrel what the heck is this group buy thing that I see sometimes on ah. Twitter but I'm not in your payroll and I'm not I'm not judging you're coming at y'all but I don't know what people are talking about sometimes when they mention this. Sure. Okay. So let me get going on about why are people mad?
0: So let me explain. This this leads on to when I took over the company. Mm. So when I first started in with MGG Pride, I I run a web design company in Toronto, Canada. Um, That's my main gig. Mm. At a certain point, I decided that having had played Magic for a long time, around the time that I was starting another company called Shelf Life, that was a funded startup here in Toronto, that was supposed to be a next generation social commerce platform for collectibles. I was doing a ton of research on collectibles and it was natural that part of that research was me chasing down information about MTG Finance because we were trying to understand all of that markets as part of that project. And because I had played Magic for uh, you know better part of my life, it ended up making sense that I would be the one to run point on that brand for that project. That led me to writing in MTG Finance and eventually... Uh, circumstances developed where MGG price was being ignored by its original owner. And there was my God, James, there there was an opportunity (laughs) for me to take it over. And as we started developing content uh, through the podcast and expanding the operation, this concept of how do I access arbitrage overseas in Europe or Japan was coming up over and over like the same frustrations that you expressed about, well, that's lovely that that card's $5 in Europe and I could sell it here for 15. I don't know anybody in Europe. I don't have an account on magiccardmarket.com. How am I like? Who cares? Like, how does this matter for me? We started looking at solutions for that. And one of the steps towards that was developing the pro trader community, our Discord uh, community, so that everybody could gather together and start sharing information as opposed to the fairly hub-and-spoke system that existed before that, where a writer like Travis would publish on Mondays and then people would provide commentary or ask questions in the comments of his article and then they'd basically be out of touch with him unless they chose to follow up with him on Twitter or whatever. By setting up the Discord, now the entire community can be, you know, bouncing ideas off each other all the time and they don't need to wait for us to produce content before they can launch a subject matter. That leads on to the to the natural evolution of some of them saying, hey, we, heard, we also heard you talking about arbitrage in Europe. How do we get in on that? And us attracting European members and then them working with North American members to start some of that going on on a one-on-one basis. Now, after a while, we figured out that maybe it would be better if we could take this to the next level. And that would become a value add for the service. Because as you said, service used to be $5 a month. Now it's $8 a month. Well, oh, I was why? Right.
3: Oh, okay. Great.
0: Yeah. So why why is that? Well, part of it is that we've added a bunch of more stuff since mm-hmm. you were, you were uh, hanging out. So the group buys are basically us working with vendors across the world. So right now it's 14 vendors in Canada, the US, Europe, and Japan. And... Basically, we tell them, hey, our people are interested in this stuff, whether it's sealed product or uh, singles, and they say, here's the price I can offer on that, and we haggle over that to get it to a price that would be attractive to the Pro Traders, that would make them want to care. So again, if there's a single, uh, they've got 100 copies of something that's five bucks in Europe, but buy list is seven eighty five or something at Card Kingdom, then obviously our people are going to be into that. So, we set up those group buys multiple times per month, and then we unleash them in the Discord, and people participate by uh, filling out their order sheets. And then we roll that all up, pass it back to the vendor, and they ship out a bunch of product to us.
3: Ah, uh, I have thought this had something to do with like buyouts or something.
0: No, 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 no. Okay. For, for, first of all, I'm 100% against buyouts. Not because I think that there is something ethically wrong with it per se, but because they're dumb and don't work. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: they,
3: do, yeah, they it's, don't.
2: It's, it's, <laughs> the ethics of it aside, whether or yeah. not you think it's shitty or not, it, they just, they're not
0: functional. Well, I think it's shitty without being unethical. Like It can be both. Yeah. The, um, what we tell people to do, by and large, our kind of predominant spec theory, is to focus on things where you're mopping up, not trying to buy out. Buying out is saying, here's 100 copies of a card. Nobody wants them. I'm going to buy them because it's on the reserve list. Let's say Alter of Bone, by example, that showed up on our uh, hot movers this week just Mm -hmm. because it's on the reserve list. I'm going to buy those and try to make them disappear from the market to make it look like there's a lot of demand. Then I'm going to repost it on TCG Player at three times the price I bought them for and try to be the last person standing. And in doing so, attempt to set the new price. That, to me, is complete and utter foolishness, and I know Travis agrees, because yeah, you, are, you, are, you are trying to tell the market what to do mm-hmm. instead of following the market to the promised land. And what we're looking for instead is a card that has hollowed out on its own. Maybe it's a corset summer mythic or something, and it started out at four bucks But eight months later, it's so popular in EDH that there's a steep ramp formed, meaning that the price goes very quickly from, say, $9 to $25, and that's across just 12 listings. And what that says to me is that if people go in and mop up the last, you know, 14 copies that are sub-15, they're probably going to be able to ride it up to 25 just because the market's already pushing it that way. And that's very, very different than organized buyouts where you're saying, okay, you, me, and these other 200 people on the down low, we're going to go sneak around the internet and try to buy up all copies of a card in the same day.
3: Yeah, I swear to God, that's what people on Twitter think that you do.
0: Sure. And that's a common perception. The, the fact of the matter is, I don't actually know anybody that does that. Like, I don't even know people that I hate
2: that I would call it that do that. <laughs> yeah, the type of person who does that isn't going to have a platform. They're like, they're sure. not... uh, ultimately they're not going to have terribly useful information to share with the rest of the world and they would i guess i'm thinking they would be kind of found out as being essentially phony if they did have a you know real uh existence in the social media world so if there are people doing that and i'm sure there Mm -hmm. are um i I, seance guy would you say
0: seance guy Per- there, there was a guy that famously bought hundreds and hundreds of copies yeah. of Seance at one point. Oh, and then Seance off- guy, yeah. But- and, and then offered Bitcoin to a pro player if they would play it in a pro tour. Right. And play. the
2: point is, we don't know who that is. We don't know who these people are that do right. this thing, because it's easier to just buy them all and keep your mouth shut.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay, so I would say that there is uh, there are basically two prongs that make up the vast majority of MGG Finance content creation and they're the two things that I think most players can get something out of from one side or the other. And it goes without saying that this is related to our make or save money playing Magic the Gathering thing that we harp on about and that most people probably ignore since they've heard it so many times at the top of the podcast, but actually does you know provide the underpinning for most of what we do. So the first prong is definitely the how to save money playing Magic. Um you know, a player that was a new player not so long ago, Ellie, uh, I think you've already expressed relatively well that you can relate to this whole not really sure when I'm supposed to buy things. Right. So the, you know, helping people find the entry point, you know, something is going to get reprinted. When is it going to be cheapest? So I can, for instance, get fetch lands at their, February or March of 2017, just after Modern Masters 2017 came out, was a really good time to buy scalding Tarns. And if you were paying attention to MGG Finance, you would have known that, while other people might have been telling you, no, no, they're going to be cheaper in six months, when in fact the opposite is what happened. The other half of MGG Finance is more along the lines of, hey, you want to start a small business. So you still want to play Magic, and you're, you're going to aim to play it for as cheaply as possible by supplementing your income by essentially not becoming a stockbroker, but becoming a vendor. You're going to buy and sell Magic cards on the internet, and hopefully get a little further ahead than you would have otherwise. Was that about what you were expecting to find when you started deciding to engage with MTG Finance content?
3: Mm, The first more than I guess I got in with the intent for the first and then I sort of end up yeah morphing into the second so yeah I mean it was kind of yeah. Um, it got a little bit away from me. I think I guess the second second part where it's like the vendor that got a little bit weird for me.
0: And I would argue that going back say five to ten years ago a lot of MTG Finance content tended to focus on emulating what a LGS does. So People were telling people to buy collections and to buy them at above buy list and to use this as a way of, A, getting your own collection cheaper, but also for paying less for cards that you would intend to sell later. And I think that if MGG Price has spearheaded anything in MGG Finance, it has been more about uh, figuring out how to still use buy list to your advantage, but also to... Target cards that are going to rise that even if you pay full retail, you're still going to be doing well. And probably the cross-border arbitrage stuff as well. And I can fully understand how the more complex the scenario gets, the the more any given player that's encountering it has to ask themselves, is this just more than I really want to be getting out of this hobby? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think, cause, yeah, especially the more complicated stuff um, just takes a lot more time and resources that, like, most people, you know, sh- kind of expect. And at the end of the day, it's like at the end of all that, you kind of have to, like, constantly be asking yourself, like, was it worth it for me to just spend this time with my money tied up in this thing? Like, this just feels, you know, sometimes, like, if you're in the right, if you're in the wrong space, making those kind of moves, you're just, at the end of it, you're going to be like, why did I just, like, waste all of that time doing that? <laughs> um,
0: there's definitely there's definitely some scenarios that I've clocked uh, people trapping themselves within along the way mm-hmm. that I do try to warn people off of when I see it. One of them is, take a step back from that. We might, we or somebody else, might tell people, hey, dip your toes in. You don't need to be throwing a bunch of money on your credit cards, etc. What you should do when you come in, you know, for instance, to the ProTrader Discord, if you're relatively fresh to the whole thing, is nothing. Like just kick back, absorb information, process it, run your own filters, much the same way that you described, and then reassess and take stock of what you might want to get out of the next stage of the experience. And instead, I often see people do things like, oh, wow, somebody mentioned this card. Rudy talked about X, so I'm going to go buy however many boxes of that I can fit on my credit card. Or I'm going to go buy 100 copies of a card and the card was 12 cents a piece because, you know, I didn't want to get too deep on it. And so now I'm going to spend the rest of the year obsessing about my 100 copies at 12 cents and writing commentary and asking people about the card on social and trying to convince pros to include it in their deck and (laughs) whatever nonsense you might get up to trying to turn, you know, $12 into $20. Yeah. Whereas I would argue that if you are a magic player that has a budget constraint, then probably the best thing you can get out of MC finance is just figuring out how to get the stuff cheapest that you need for your decks. And maybe in certain cases, how to uh, ignore cards completely in favor of cheaper options. So for instance, BSB has a new segment that they're running uh, on their show where they talk about, um how you know here's a really expensive card like guy's cradle what can we replace this with in a deck that's going to cost us way less money and might still do a pretty decent job of making our deck competitive a
3: proxy guy's cradle
2: sure <laughs> that world champ <laughs> that, that's i
0: say <laughs> world championship yeah gold borders are yeah gold borders are already 100 bucks yeah. so that doesn't help us much but a, a growing rights of itlamok might and depending on where you are in your life cycle as a player you may not know about the card by at the time that somebody mentions it to
2: you. One of the things, um, Ellie, one of the the more popular articles I ever wrote was um, about essentially getting into a spec and then realizing getting back out of it in a profitable fashion was much more difficult than you would expect. Um, I don't know if new players probably don't or new individuals probably don't hit that article very often, but uh, it was a similar concept of like Hey, for as fun as this sounds, when we're like, buy this card at $2, then sell it for $6. is not that easy? Like, it's like, actually, there's a lot more to this than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so I'm going to take a break in the conversation here. Uh, we had a technical blip, and Ellie and I were chatting while we waited for uh, James to rejoin us. And Ellie brought up a point um, that I just want to touch on. And Ellie, you were telling me about some of the most frustrating experiences you've had with Magic Finance, and I think it's worth illuminating those. Um, can you just kind of say sure. it again for our listeners?
3: Yeah. So I was basically talking about how there are some, there are genuinely sketchy things like that happen in like the MTG finance like big umbrella, and then there are things that aren't, and like I think we shouldn't conflate the two. But for me, one of the things that I came across that were really frustrating, especially as a new player. Um, where it was like I felt people were constantly trying to take advantage of me by basically, you know, I would go to a store or a GP. And when I wanted to go trade my cards, you know, somebody, you know, with a backpack would be like, oh, I'm a store and, (laughs) you know, only want to trade, you know, at 60 or 70%. But they had no, you know, way of showing me that they were a store. And they shouldn't have even been doing that in the first place when there are vendors there, um, but, you know, that kind of thing happens and it was just really fresh. To me, it's like made total sense. Um, once this happened a couple times, I was like, oh, this makes total sense why trading is dying. Because like, I'm sure I'm not the first magic player who just wants to um, trade, at, you know, at fair value. And then comes across a bunch of dude bros with their backpack telling me that they're a store. <laughs> And wanting to, like, take advantage of me. And I was like, because I genuinely could not figure out why on earth you would go to a vendor and sell your cards or trade your cards and lose, you know, 30 to 50% of the value of your cards. I didn't understand why people did that when I first started trading and I first started playing. But then after going to, after this experience with these, like, Binder grinders not wanting to be fair. I was just like, oh, this makes total sense. It makes total sense. They're just a bunch of assholes running around thinking that they're gonna make a quick buck off of like the unsuspecting player or whatever, as if I don't know how to use TCG player. <laughs> um, and I hated that experience and I, I don't, I, 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 I hate it. I hate, I hate even coming across it, um, in groups. This will happen, like in Facebook groups selling cards, people will like want to be like, oh, well, I'm a store. I'll pick up your, <laughs> they'll, they'll be like, I'll pick up your collection that's worth, um, you know, like I had a, a Memnarch EDH deck and it was about, um, I don't know, I think it like was buy listing for like 7,000 and, you know, somebody, it was buy listing for that on Card Kingdom, and somebody's like, oh, well, I'm a store and I'll give you half of that or whatever and I'm like, What? get, why are you wasting my time? Like, you just, you just, it's, it's like a barrage of people waiting to just take advantage of you because they're all just trying to make, because they're trying to make money. Like, that's what it is. And it, that's what's, that's, that's hard not to resent. That mentality is hard not to resent.
2: There's, there's a lot going on there. Um, so yeah. on, f- first I'm gonna say just just like lying in trades is, oh. is crummy. Uh, and I mean, this definitely happened back it. in the wild west. Uh, of trading um you know when i started in zendikar it was definitely going on where people would just not be truthful about card values um mm-hmm. so like that's you know lying is a crummy behavior and it's that not, that's not related it's, that's not limited to magic obviously um, Sure. you know caveat emptor but like this still makes you a shitty person so mm-hmm. we can agree on that um i think you know it's a small point i don't think trading really died out due to People getting disgusted with it. I think the larger trend is just smartphones, just essentially made it. Okay, so this is really interesting because you had the experience that tra- that trading died out because players got sick of dealing with other pl- with people who were essentially trying to take advantage of them.
3: Yeah, players are just sick of dealing with other players. Like, it didn't make sense to deal with the hassle of going with trying to trade your cards with another player and they're taking advantage of you. And if they're not taking advantage of you, they're freaking nitpicking you to get to death which, or about something. And so it's just easier to go to a store, lose 30%, but you get the card you want. Which is
2: interesting here, which is very so, interesting because I think what you've described is the symptom not the disease. And the disease in this case was the proliferation, proliferation of smartphones because prior to smartphones, nobody had, or it was much less common to have that experience. I took out cards from your binder I wanted, you took out cards from my binder I wanted, we discussed some prices, found what we thought was a happy middle ground, we swapped cards and we were done. And everyone walked away happy. Smartphones come Mm -hmm. along, and now everyone has access to the same level of information. They don't have the same access to essentially the financial tools, the the knowledge about how to use the data. But they have the same data, and that's where people start getting very frustrated with trading because it's like, well, my pile is fourteen dollars and seventeen cents, and your pile is fifteen dollars and thirty-five cents. So I have to find a card worth a dollar before we can make this trade. And both players want to both players want to blow their brains out. I think. That's where mm-hmm. essentially trading died. And that's also where you would have run afoul with these um, the major backpack grinders who show up with a rolling suitcase worth of cards. Before yeah. smartphones, before you had access to the data, you're looking at a guy with a huge trade binder. His pitch to you is that if you're looking for a card, he's got it. And he'll take anything that you have. Like, you know, I'm not going to be picky. I will take any cards you have in front of you, and I will give you the card you need. And that guy's armed with extra information, so he's going to make a profit on the exchange because he knows what the card values are worth. But what you, the player, are getting in return is that you get to take cards that you don't want out of your binder and turn them into the cards that you do want. You're essentially paying a tax for the luxury of getting exactly what you want, and he's get, he gets to inherit that tax by virtue of not carrying what's written on the cards. Mm-hmm the The cell phone is where that got where suddenly the the individual player you in that a- angle now feel bad because you're realizing that this guy's making a thirty percent profit on you. Which I have absolutely sat down at a table, had that guy start talking, and then realized we were never going to come to an agreement, and just picked up my binder and just said no, no, thank you. Sure. I think we're not going to see eye to eye, and just walked away. I don't, I, I, I can't cast a, a blanket statement. Some people who do that are assholes. I don't yeah. think can see I don't think theoretically that all people who do that are jerks because you, like I said it's he's offering essentially a service. He basically is a roaming vendor. And I think it's a mismatch in expectations because you, the player are expecting to sit down across from another like-minded player who just wants to swap for some cards he needs. You, it, you're, But the setting is such that you, you feel like that's who you should right. be trading with, but you're not, you're trading with essentially a store.
3: Yeah. But that's not what was just was happening with me. I understand that interaction um, that you're talking about. And like, it's still annoying, but it's not that I don't really, ultimately, I don't really have a problem if that's what's happening. If the guy's saying, yeah, I'll take whatever you have, don't care what it is. You know, I'm just not going to take it at 100. All right. Okay, fine. That but what I was coming across was people looking at, you know, my cards that this was not, you know, draft chaff, like this was like, these were like, pieces of modern decks and stuff like tarmac and they like these were higher value things stuff, and somebody would just somebody would go into my binder and look at the things that they wanted from me because these were their picks the, the 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 targets that they were targeting i mean um and then they would offer me some sort of like crappy percentage list. you know some buy the, list yeah, or they're, whatever they're... it is and you know that always threw me because i'm like <clears throat> yeah, it is a mismatch of expectations, but it was also it was happening even in situations where it was clear that it was like it's not like I have crappy things, and it's not like um, there was things that he, I I had that they wanted, um, and they, maybe they had some things that I wanted, but they still wanted to treat me as if it was the opposite. If that makes sense, like if um, they were just taking charge, you know chaff, which wasn't really the case. Um, So those things, like, bothered me, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you're there, very straightforwardly, to trade. Mm -hmm. You're going to give up $100 in cards. You want them to give about the same. Yeah. And and that's what players want to do. It's kind of fun to trade your cards. I mean, this goes all the way back to baseball cards in the 40s. This has been going on for ages. Mm -hmm. And as smartphones evolved, I agree with Travis, that, that the population of players that were interested in that process shrunk. But I think Travis missed a key point one of the reasons that nobody wants to trade anymore is because the trading process was a game unto itself. It was its own meta. And the gamification of that, and all three of us are gamers, so we can all understand this, has been removed. In the era where everything is always a straight trade, it's so much less interesting to trade. Right. Because... And I wrote an article a while back for MGG Price called The Ethics of MGG Finance. It was meant to elic- to explore not the grander um, umbrella of MGG Finance, but really the specifics of the ethics of, of doing a deal, whether it's for cash or a trade, what your obligations are to the other human being that you're dealing with. And one of the things that I expressed was that if you are uh, working an in information advantage, then you have a higher ethical obligation than if you are both speculating and that there there are differences in approach so in some cases ellie is probably discussing somebody not just buy listing but misrepresenting what her scalding turn is worth mm-hmm. you know say it was a hundred dollars at the time they're offering 30 that's not buy list price that's just a ripoff mm-hmm. right
3: mm-hmm.
0: now if that now if they, if they offer you 70 dollars on that card they're they're putting up their hand, putting their flag in the ground and saying, I'm a buy list. Like whether or not they are, that's what they're trying to do. Now there's another situation, which is they want to swap your fiery emancipation for their chromatic Mm orary. Both very recently printed mythics from the same set, exactly the same rarity, same number of printing, same treatments available. And the question becomes pre-EDH rec, pre-TCG player, pre-cell phones, Who's right? Which card is going to be more popular in a year? And 10 years ago, believe it or not, nobody had any idea. Mm. Because first first of all, EDH wasn't really a thing. So most of the time you were betting on where the meta was headed. And given that there were sets forthcoming that were going to change that meta, and Standard was mostly what we were talking about, Standard plus Legacy, say 10 years ago, you really didn't know. Like nobody knew what the price of Tarmogoyf was going to be a year later. They just thought it was probably going to be this See, that part of so a lot is of fun yeah i mean i i really miss the era of trading where it was my guess versus your guess yeah. where no nobody is like both players might actually walk away in that situation thinking ha, 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 i got
2: the better <laughs> of them there
0: but, but the reality is they might both be right. They might both be wrong.
2: I mean, I, 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 don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think the the game of trading was definitely a big aspect of it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I miss it. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people do, right? We were all in the same boat. I, I think it's probably a little column A, a little column B. And, you know, at least when you had that situation, yeah. it was also playing a game of, like, neither of us has a smartphone like they didn't exist yet so not only is a game it's well which one of us has more knowledge like Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm getting the better side of this deal but is he is, is he getting me like what does he know that i don't know so like you almost didn't feel as you didn't necessarily have to feel bad if you felt like you were getting the good end of a deal because maybe you were missing something and let me tell you that happened to me Plenty of times too, where I thought I pulled one—not uh, pull, where I thought I had the good side of a trade—and then realized after the fact that I had overlooked something and just got daggered myself. Uh, a sk- a skill borrower well, I mean, or p- Master picture- transmuter come to mind. I'm pretty sure I burned myself on that Ooh. more than once. <laughs> so let, let's go further back. I mean, this
0: is predates Ellie's involvement, but Ellie, picture the situation. It's 1996. Oh,
3: and they've just announced.
0: Cool. They—they—they've just announced that most of the the power nine is only going to be played in this thing called type one but nobody's really running type one tournaments so much anymore Mm -hmm. it's mostly about type two which is basically the precursor to standard and so people are trading away their dual lands because there's nowhere to play them for whatever the hot new standard tech was at the time like river boa or something necropones i hate it (laughs)
3: <laughs> um, actually I know um, two guys they started in LGS um, that I actually used to play at um, and then uh, that was kind of how they started there were two guys in in that era that you're talking about picking up Tundras for like nothing um, you know and just grinding their way into like a collection to where it got, eventually got to the point where they were able to sort of run um like events on the side and then they opened a store with that collection that they just ran everybody in the area <laughs> for. Um and it wasn't that they were doing they it's not like they were cheating anybody. They were just yeah, basically placing their pick you know just taking advantage of that error and picking up like these cards now that are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But they kinda um, had the foresight to be like, oh these are really, really good. We should probably pick them up while people, yeah, want those boas or whatever it is. They talk about it. um, They've talked about it before, and I just remember hearing about it. And it would always make me so sick to my stomach because I would just be thinking, those fools, those fools. I wouldn't have made such a silly trade. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been me. But I've definitely done equivalent (laughs) trades.
0: There's also a lot of survivor bias, right? Yeah. Like the people that bought Beanie Babies in the '90s are not prancing around bragging about their hundred thousand dollar editions. Like most of that stuff just collapsed completely. Mm. So the fact that we're standing at ground zero in the middle of a hobby that's in that has survived and that is a vibrant, multi generational brand, thirty years into the game. Is in many ways as much luck as it is expertise, yeah. um, and and now we just happen to be in, in a position where we can leverage the you know longevity we have inside this brand to hopefully help other people play the game for less. But um, I'd I'd love to give you an opportunity to you know come at us from any other angles you know things that have bothered you uh, in in the way that we or me have shared content on Twitter you, you pointed out when we were discussing um, uh, the conversation ahead of time on Twitter the other day I posted something about a massive buy list potential in Japan does that does that still uh, resonate as a point you want to do oh
3: right yeah but we, I brought it up because of uh it was the arbitrage thing
0: Oh, just that they right. doing stuff overseas yeah, is is not necessarily for everybody.
3: Right? Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to. Like, it just reminded me of that feeling I got when y'all were first talking about it, about kind of being shut out of certain aspects, because um, it's not just like there's there's two ways also just to be clear that like people can I think there's multiple ways people are just feeling kind of left behind when it comes to finance. Some of it is information. And then some of it's just means, and so it really sucks for um, you know people partic- with with magic being as expensive as it is, it does suck for people that don't have the means to be able to um, afford to participate in um, finance, and then they get screwed because people with money can, and you know those pri- you know those they they sweep up those last few copies or whatever it is, um, you know a-holes and not that you guys you know you guys have already said on the cast that you aren't um about buyouts but like that there's that frustration too is like it's not sometimes it's like it's not that you didn't know that this thing was going on it's that you can't afford to get in on it um or sort of get around get 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 in before um basically the shit hits the fan so now you're just sort of stuck being priced out that really sucks for people, and I don't know if y'all really take that into account. Um, hopefully, you do. Um, it's been a while, but like, it's it's not just information; means matters it, too. So this
2: is this but, is uh, again an, an extremely valid position to hold, and I agree with you. And I guess my point is where I would go is you're at this point your beef isn't with magic it's with capitalism and i'm not oh sure and i'm not like i'm not debating it i'm not trying to belittle it. it's just like i mm-hmm. you're right and in fact i was just watching uh the great british bake-off with my wife where we were fans and we're working through one of the newer seasons and we got talking about like the practice recipes and it came up that um we looked it up that the show doesn't really provide much of a stipend to the bakers so if you know there's like a there was like a 19 year old kid on the show who lives with like his family and a couple family members and it's like this kid probably can't go home and spend and 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 practice this cake 10 times in a week because those ingredients Mm -hmm. get really pricey whereas like that you know someone with different means can go home and afford very high quality cooking materials a larger kitchen to work with right like just they have more money they're going to be get more practice out of it and it's like you're like well this is kind of crummy like they're they're competing on a national stage and still the the kid who has less money doesn't get to play the same game as you know the rich old white woman so it's um completely valid and i guess like it's just uh, unfortunately it's an aspect that permeates all of this
3: sure yeah i mean that's absolutely true i mean uh, you know the i guess the the response to me saying that about means is sort of like well the follow up there is like, well, what do I expect y'all to do about it? And it's not necessarily that I expect. Um, and again, this isn't something that I think that's like a fault of y'all's in particular, um, but it is something I wish. It's like I was. We were talking about before, like when um, James cut out. I got that right. It was James, right, not Travis. Yes. Okay. The
0: the interchangeable middle aged white men. You have properly labeled and identified. Uh, oh
3: goodness, I was worried. Um, but um, you know where there's like this this gap of of communicate like communication between like finance and then the regular magic players, is that this is something that you know it should be taken into account. Like not to be an a hole to people like um, who can't just afford to to participate in the same way that you can. Um,
0: do you do you feel that sensitivity is lacking? in the way that MTG Finance interacts with the rest of the community on social media?
3: Yeah, sometimes. But I also think that the way that the rest of social media interacts with MTG Finance is also lacking in sensitivity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm,
0: not, I'm not so worried about the, but yeah, like sometimes the sensitivity I think so. level so much as the accuracy for the benefit of all. And, and mm. I would actually agree that um, you know, for instance, my content stream on social is much more to the point and abrupt than say Travis's. Travis is not known for the humble brags on Twitter about his spec action. In fact, he barely ever mentions it. He's more likely to spend fifty tweets calling out Therese Nielsen than he is to I did do that. You know, reference hey, some, that's reference, <laughs> reference some money that he made. Right. Um whereas I'm the kind of person that puts out a tweet that just says, straight up just made five grand good for me yeah and you you can either take that as okay cool that's a demonstration of potential that i can then explore and run through my own filters or you can be like fuck that guy who does he think he is who gives a fuck okay most people are gonna say
3: fuck that guy as long as we're clear
0: (laughs) yeah and and both and i let's be clear i put those tweets out there knowing full well how they will be received by the various sectors on the basis that I'm hoping the people that can see the forest for the trees will take those tweets as intended, because I feel like I have, it would, it might not be possible to reach the others, in in the limited time that I have to interact. Um, yeah, and I have tried, as you know, other people like DJ have on on Twitter over time, to engage where the argument seemed productive. Sure. So I've I've engaged fairly deeply on the topics of advanced knowledge. I've engaged fairly deeply on, on the topics of, you know, speculation and fair trade. I've engaged fairly deeply on uh, a variety of angles where I thought I had something productive to add. But I wouldn't argue that there is a high uh, percentage of empathy apparent in my content stream. Mm-hmm. So, it's entirely possible that's something that myself and others could work on that where it might be productive or it might not.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think some I mean, but sometimes it's like with the, okay, so like with the professor's like YouTube video, I think you took you took a little bit. I don't know if how much was in I don't know you that well, so I don't know how much was in jest or if any was in jest. Um, but you sort of took uh felt like you took a little bit of offense to what he was painting um I guess MTG finance as. Um And, you know, I was just kind of like being like, well, yeah, sure, pot shots here, but there's some grains of truth here. And then it was just sort of like, I don't know if you really understood what I meant or something like that. But what I, what I see are like these interactions where it's, yeah, it's like, like little pot shots taken at, um, it's like passing pot shots taken at each other. And it's like a lack of really hearing like why people are frustrated. Like it is not productive for you to say that, well, something is a legitimate market action in response to somebody being frustrated. That just makes you an asshole. <laughs> like if that's, you're just sort of sidestepping why somebody is frustrated. Sure, something can be a legitimate market action or a reasonable thing to do, but it can also be something that bothers someone. And that is worth at least a smidgen of acknowledgement. You know, before you get flippant, sometimes like I, d- is, this is just my opinion, and so I see that, and I see it from like, that's a very specific example, but you know, it. That's it, a super fair point. Yeah, it it, fr- it frustrates. I, it just it's just it's it's frustrating because I just, I just want everybody to get along and and like eat pies it, together and and, and like <laughs> and like share their specs, you know, and just like have a good time. But
0: um, it's it's important <laughs> to understand that with with professor and I, we have had many a conversation mm. in in DM over the years, and that at a certain point, the relationship was, was pretty collaborative. Mm. Um, and then he largely decided that it was good for his brand to distance himself from MGG Finance, mm-hmm. and he started taking a very hardline stance on reprints and product pricing and so forth. And I actually agree that there is there is room for that voice to be heard, and that it's an important one. That the community has every right to um, push back as Wizards, a capitalist engine, mm-hmm. plows forward trying to make magic a more expensive game. Um,
3: God, they really are. At,
0: at, at the same t- same time, I feel that I, and others, offer a more realistic perspective in terms of highlighting that Wizards of the Coast is a capitalist engine. Mm-hmm. They are going to behave like that because they know no other method by which to behave. <laughs> and and as such, our, the best we can do as players is parse what they're putting out there and try to help people navigate
2: it in a way that makes the game cheaper. Wizards of the Coast is legally obligated to do that, right? Like, right. they're beholden right. to their shareholders. And it's I guess it's sometimes you have an issue where you have individuals you know, who are frustrated that magic isn't what they want it to be. They want magic to exist in a different system than it does. And you've got guys like James and I who can see that, recognize that under are empathetic to that, but also know that it's not the case. It's not going to change tomorrow. And that mm-hmm. magic exists within the confines of a system. And it's, we kind of just have to operate there as opposed to, um, you know, what we wish it were. And, I, you know on the other side of this too uh, and this I think that I think that not listening to the not meeting appropriately meeting the tone of people who are frustrated is also very fair. Um, but you know the other side of this is oh, pretty much every concern frustration that has been voiced by the, the a large group of people here James and I have taken time to painstakingly discuss, address, try and educate, mm-hmm. And like we hear that you know we've heard this reserve list, the reserve list frustrations so many times, and we've dedicated right, and we've dedicated a lot of airtime too. We've like tried you know we've we've tried to produce the like information to explain to people like this is kind of what's going on. Same with the buyouts, right? Like we've we've talked a lot about the buyouts, and we're just like this is what's kind of what's going on here. We're giving you this information so you can understand it, and some people hear it. Fewer of the people, less than less than one hundred percent of the people hear it. Like internalize it um and a lot yeah. of the people who most need to hear it will never hear it um so you know it, when we're at like the 14th time reserve list cards are spiking and people are angry and complaining it's just like uh, what what do you want from me man like i just i, I can't i yeah. can't give all of these answers like full respective because we've just had the conversation so many times that we just we just can't do it anymore
3: yeah i mean that's fair that's that that's definitely fair especially the reserve list i really don't like uh even thinking about its existence because it's so aggravating and i will say it i mean it must it, it is aggravating at least for me for every time a product releases or mention of a product releases magic's players rediscover all of the evils of capitalism it has got to be like the most irritating thing at this point because um, it's the big basically the same conversation over and over mm-hmm. um i say that so like i get where you're coming from i do because it's irritating um, but yeah, sometimes I just, um,
2: I, I, I want to stress that I'm not complaining that people get frustrated. I just want to point out that like, we've definitely, uh, you've addressed
3: it. Yeah, right. yeah, we, so there's only so many times you're going to like repeat yourself. Yeah, I get it. Which
2: is also the reason that I engage in this type of content much less frequently than James does, because I don't want to have the same conversations over and over again. I'm just, uh, okay. I would just yeah, rather sense. do other things.
3: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess um, for me, yeah, this is like a ball of string with like a lot of different color strings all tied up together. And it's kind of this ugly, (laughs) ugly thing mess. And it's really hard to try and tug on one, like to try and unravel it because you just sort of open up a whole new nest of annoying things. Um, so it's just safer to leave the ball alone, which is kind of how I've been treating (laughs) MTG finance. I just sort of like leave this ugly ball of yarn in my corner while I do other things like, you know, pay off a ton of debt, which I've been making like pretty hella headway on. So, you know. Well, and congratulations. I mean,
0: that there's very few. First of all, MTG finance is pointless if you can go after your consumer debt. Like, I'd be the first to tell people, do not sign up for ProTrader if you've got 15000 in consumer debt you're trying to pay down, and you need to stay focused on that. Like, if you are working a, a full-time job or two jobs to try to pay down your debt and you've got real bills to pay, say you've got family members you're responsible for right. or whatever, then your hobby should already be a backseat thing. Like the And as much as that might suck, it'll be something that the person in question might be able to circle back on later when they're in a different position. I, I would be the last person to say, hey, you're 16 and just got your allowance? Here's a $1,000 card in Japan you should go <laughs> try to run arbitrage on.
3: Uh, like, I believe once this episode comes out, somebody is going to then say that on this episode, you told a 16-year-old to do that. <laughs> That's going to happen on a Reddit thread, I bet.
0: I, I I mean, we legit had a 16-year-old try to sign up for pro tra- pro trader last no, month. And why? I had to ask... I, and I had to ask his dad for permission.
3: Um, I have feelings. Why? What is he doing?
0: <laughs> I guess he, okay. he thinks it's interesting and wants to play magic for less. All right. The, his, his dad was down with it. So he's in ProTrader right now.
3: Okay. That's weird.
0: <laughs> yep. I, I, I was like, is it your credit card? Because that, oh, that'll sure. be the first question. Right. Because it could be a fraudulent charge mm-hmm. otherwise. So yeah, um... I think that there is a time and a place to decide to approach the financial side of any hobby, whether it's magic or something else. And the interesting thing about consumerism is that this this marketization of hobbies is very widespread. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where your overlapping you know, Venn diagrams are, but you're probably aware that graded video games is a huge deal right now. Mm-hmm. Running shoes, you know, the, the kicks apps are completely ridiculous these days. Every new shoe drop is like this oh, mad yeah, yeah. scuffle for things. You got the kid, the high school kids being hired out to like raid supreme drops, you know, in the streets of Brooklyn and whatever. There's there's a lot of craziness going on in in the collector space. And we like to think that the only reason for us to exist is to help people navigate what if this conversation has proved anything it's that the space is in fact complex enough to need navigation yeah one of the things i took interest i took issue with from you know the prof's pretty loose comedic uh, assault <laughs> was that you know putting aside that he's never been inside protrader so he actually has no idea what we do day to day right. and in the same way that you someone who was a protrader um but had lapsed didn't even know what a group buy was in our context right he, ser- he definitely doesn't know And he definitely assumes that we're out there doing whatever without ever actually having talked to us or the pro traders about what actually goes on in there every day. And so he didn't have the information. But there's also this angle of, you know, what are our responsibilities and what can, how can we interact in a way that is productive? For the biggest number of players without putting that value out on the table for free. Because MGG price for a long time, most, most of the content was um, either behind the paywall or it was free. And this was something that Star City Games pioneered, mm-hmm. where they were basically taking this kind of newspaper approach to things. And when I took over, I realized that the service could be a lot more than it was, and there was a bunch of different value adds, including things like Group Eyes. And so now we're completely restructured in a way that we are extremely confident that if you've got the eighty bucks a year, and plus, you know, say you're spending a thousand to two thousand a year plus on Magic, then you're going to get your money back. If you are a very casual Magic player that spends less than five hundred dollars a year, it's probably not for you, unless you are looking to digest the the information as content as opposed to actionable items. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay that that exists out there for the people that want to use it. And also that there are some other players who are going to want to watch the prof's videos about sleeves 10 million times. <laughs> like, there should be an array of content. Right. And it makes sense that it's going to have differing price points because the value is different.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. For me, what's the most important is that you're just being upfront about what it is that you're doing. You know, that you're being, that you are communicating, you know. I'm not saying you need to have the same conversation on Twitter over and over again. But I'm just saying that, you know, it's a little bit repetitive, but like you know, you're just being, like, what you just told to me, I didn't really, I didn't really have that frame of reference for, like, oh, if I'm spending this much, then it's worth it. If it's not, then I'm, if I'm not, then it's not worth it. I didn't really have that frame of reference when I first even got into um, the pro traders. Um, Not that, I mean, I could, you could have said it, and I could have just, like, totally missed it, or forgotten by now. But, like, as long as I think that especially if you're taking money from people. As long as you're being upfront about what it is that you're doing and the expectations that people should have, and you're dealing with the information that you have as reasonably, ethically as you could, even though that's very complex and I can't really be more specific than that. But just know I'm not going to at you on Twitter um, over it because I don't really have a good answer about it then I think you're fine then I think it's you know I think it's fine
2: well we've both certainly tried very hard I think to keep this yeah. as upstanding and moral and ethical as we can uh for no other reason than I feel like it's hard to keep doing this if you're not uh on Maybe. another cast another week uh we should we can we can talk about ethics if you want I've got a graduate degree in philosophy so we can we can go down that rabbit hole if you're you have it an, old have another bottle of wine we can
3: I have. Do you know how much wine I have in my house? We could
2: talk. We could talk about ethics in the reserve list. It'll be a night you'll remember.
0: Oh
3: my god! All right, I'll buy more. I'll buy more wine. I'll I'll get ready. I can do this. I can make it.
0: it, it, It's also kind of funny to us that whenever whenever people go after MGG Finance, they they pull out the very tired trope of the stock wannabe stockbroker. Yeah. As though the people involved in MGG Finance are, are like, are magic traders. As to stockbrokers, as rent-a-cops are to real cops. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes, like that. These are people that failed out of real right, finance. Like and so now they're them, like, yeah. now now they're running their game on on a kids' card game, and they pull that one out too. It's a kids' card game, but mm-hmm. in fact the demographics are 18 plus for Shurseys, because there's no way they would be marketing the game the way they are if it was anything else. Right, and so. It's amusing to us because anybody who spends any time in ProTrader these days knows that if you're a right wing uh, on the right side of the spectrum politically, you're going to be pretty frustrated inside ProTrader, where <laughs> the vast, pretty much every mod and staff member is far left or further sure. left. I vote for a party here in Canada. You guys can't even—you've never even experienced in the United States of America. Like we have the Liberals, which are basically your Democrats. We have the conser- Conservative Party, that's basically the Republicans. Then we have the NDP, the New Democratic Party, which is like s- left of center. And then we have the Green Party, which is literally what it sounds like. Why don't you bring the and, Green
3: Party down here?
0: Yeah, I mean, we—I'd be happy to. So
2: I'm, I. Ellie's really interested in a green party.
3: <laughs> I am. I am.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's that there's that side of things. But there's, there's also the, you know, one of the points we bring up a lot that definitely doesn't get talked enough about in the magic community is that it's not speculators that have cornered all the cards. Speculation is extremely small percentage of the total uh, magic market. Now, if you're looking at, say, graded power, it's different. Sure. Uh, the vast majority of that is in the hands of collectors slash speculators, for sure. Investors, as it were. Mm-hmm. But you know, those are high net worth, worth individuals that can throw a hundred thousand at something and be totally fine. That's true, Kelly. That's dude. a whole different. Sure, but that's a totally niche within the niche mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I'm talking about the fact that the reason cards are expensive is because Magic players never sell them.
3: Oh God, you're telling me. I, I hate it. <laughs>
0: Like, like, how, like, what percentage of the cards that you own, Ellie, do you ever play with?
3: Um, do I ever play with? I don't really play with any of my cards. <laughs> point, point made. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, don't really so play with any that, of them. That, that, they that's just that sit there. They're just right there now. staring at me, guilting you, me.
2: Yeah, you, you want to talk about how many tens of thousands of dollars of magic cards that I may or may not own and how many times I have played with any of them or the most recent time i've played with any of that yeah it's just buff.
3: uh i bet like a store would be so happy to get a hold of my stuff because like i don't even have my shit in binders anymore <laughs> i just have it like kind of maybe sleeve maybe it's double sleeve maybe it's not sleeved it's a mythic i don't know it's in a thousand count <laughs> i don't know where it is there you go. it's in there there you go it's just stacked up in my closet because i was tired of it trying to whisper to me <laughs> in the middle of the night i was just like
0: yeah, so me. I, I feel I feel very strongly that if I could if I could pull a press a magic button and have prof change one angle to his content, mm-hmm. I would subtract every rant about fetch lands and I would replace it with rants about players using buy lists to fill the market with cards to push prices down. Because that's how that process would work. If the players fl- even sold 10% of their cards and they did it all within the same 30-day span, you would see the magic market crash instantly.
3: Right. Yeah, that's not talked about.
0: You know, prices only rise because the vendors can't get their hands on things. And if you look at all the stuff that has been pumping real hard during COVID, that's because of a simple reason. Because the Magic Fest shut down and the LGS is shut down and they they neither locally nor regionally can most of the midsize vendors get their hands on the same flow of cardboard that they could when we had tournaments on the regular.
3: Right.
2: All right, it is almost 1230.
3: That's true. And he's a new
2: dad.
0: Yeah, oh, I you're
3: a new dad.
2: Really, uh, I, today is my first day back after two months. I've been off on paternity.
3: Oh, is it fat? Your baby, I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, I was like, where is she going with that? He was. He the- was born a month early. So he was, everybody's healthy. Uh, He was on the smaller side when he came out. He is just starting to get a little chub on him. And he has become ravenous the last couple days. And I think I can see him getting fatter every day.
3: The fatter the baby, the cuter they are. Don't let anybody tell you that skinny babies are cute because they are not. (laughs) They're freaky. (laughs) They're scary. They look like (laughs) little aliens. But fat babies, like I want, I like the babies that like look like the little mini Buddha statue. I love those things. I
2: just want my son <laughs> to be comfortable in his own body, right? No body shaming here. Right.
3: Ellie. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. But they're, they're too young to know what I'm saying. Just don't yeah, play I, this for him when he's older. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's. he's all all right. The, the, the,
0: this conversation has been beyond fascinating from my end, at least mm. the I, Ellie, I have uh, a proposal that I want you to think about. You can get back to us.
3: Does it involve snacks? I want
0: to I want to give you permanent access to ProTrader
3: mm.
0: that you feel free to dip into or not when you so choose. And at some point down the road, if you have chosen to interact with ProTrader, I would be very curious to see what your updated thoughts were like.
3: I will take this deal.
0: Take it under advisement and you just let us know what you want to do.
3: Okay. <laughs> I would take it. I'll look at it. Okay, I can just lurk, right? Like I just lurk.
0: You, you you can lurk and play Resident Bullshit Detector. You can call people out. You can do whatever <laughs> you want.
3: Okay. Okay. All right. That sounds interesting. Fair enough. That sounds fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Because that I I feel like that will that will give us plenty of meat on the bone. Sure. <laughs> when we re- rejoin for conversations down the road, and you're fully informed as to our our uh, our various activities. Sure. That's yeah. a
2: that's a better offer than I've got, really. What's your offer? It is, really. I have to keep doing this every week. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's, he's, got to edit this podcast tomorrow.
3: Oh, goodness. Oh, that's right. Good luck. Yeah,
2: it's going to be a mess.
3: You can do it.
0: All right. So huge thank yous to Ellie of the Veil. You can find her over on Twitch uh, at Ellie of the Veil. Yes. Mm
3: -hmm. Same thing. Correct.
0: And uh, sponsored by Cardsphere. That's also correct. Yes that's correct and over on twitter at ellie of the veil that's e-l-l-i-e of the veil uh fantastic having you really appreciate your insights and hopefully we will uh, have a chance to regroup with you down the road
3: i look forward to it all
0: right travis let's uh, wrap things up here where can people find you online
2: oh i am on twitter and searching for my script here okay I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, Yeah, that is where you can find me, on Twitter. And yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at
0: MGGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my frequent haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum
2: that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode, uh, wait, let me find it, 234. Um, I am glad to be back. It was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to being here for a while longer, at least until I have another child. Um, (laughs) Ellie, it was a lot of fun to have you on, and uh, I feel like this was a great conversation. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And James, it was a pleasure as always.
0: Really appreciate you both. And we'll see everybody else next week on another episode of MTG Fast
2: Finance.